0: Hello, hello. Welcome, one and all, to another fucking horror podcast. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Green And we're here. We're here. How are you doing?
1: Wonderful. How are you? Oh, shit. No, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: PG. No, I love wonderful.
1: Oh. <laughs> I love when people use interesting, like dandy. I love when somebody's like, oh, mm. dandy. I'm always like, oh, what are you doing today
0: then? So interesting. My life coach, whenever you'd ask him how he was doing, he'd say magical. Oh, okay. That seems like he worked for Disney. Magical. I'm not upset about it. No, that's fine. I love and he was a really he's
1: is, he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my god, what happened?
0: <laughs> he's this really big dude. Then he has like a tongue ring and tattoos and shit. And so to hear this dude say magical <laughs> is so magical.
1: magical. Yeah. It's magical, exactly. So Johnny put on the other night on Netflix surviving death, and in the first episode, they tell Stephanie oh, shit. story. <laughs> So literally I heard uh, Placenta previa. Placenta previa, yes. And I did the like comical dog tilt your head thing and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is Monique's story. And then yeah, she she got through it and I at the end of it it was like, Yeah, Johnny, Monique just did this on the podcast, no big deal. Beachy dubs, beachy dubs. And it was her telling the story. It was her telling the story with her husband. Honestly, did not think the details were enough, and he gave away better definition, oh, in my opinion. Like, I felt like I knew more information about it than Johnny knew, and he, like, didn't know the whole story. Oh, okay. I know. Yeah. All right. That's, so it's called Surviving Death? Surviving Death, yes. And it's about a lot of people with near-death experiences, and I think it touches on mediums and a lot of different topics. Oh, my God. We only watched one episode because the medium episode was next, and Johnny was like, this is... Basically too woo woo for me and had to get the fuck out. He was like, I'm so then you it. had to go to just straight survivor. Straight survivor, yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he also allowed me to watch one episode of the history of swear words. How is that?
0: This Nicholas Nicolas
1: Cage. Nicholas Cage, yes. I actually really enjoyed it. Like okay. it's, it's kind of campy, and obviously it's not you know supposed to be a very serious dissection of etymology, but. It was very enjoyable for me and I liked the comedians that were on it and I do enjoy the etymology of words so that was right up my alley oh. and it's very interesting apparently you can tolerate more pain if you're cursing which is good to know
0: that's probably why I have a huge pain tolerance there you go
1: it also had just a lot of like little blurbs of like why cursing is so great that I was just like
0: I mean I mean it is fuck yeah. it's amazing yeah we are so adamant about having it as It's literally in the title, yeah. (laughs) That Instagram will not let us promote a single post because we have the word fuck in it. We're so inappropriate, Monique. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Gmail won't let us have another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com because the word fuck exists in it. (laughs) Everybody needs to relax. But you know what? Uh, Hey, if that's the case, you could fucking run me over with a car. I'm going to be fine. Shit. Pop back up. Fuck. No big deal. Fucking A.
1: I ended up throwing on the rest of the season of that show last night while I was doing my story. So I did enjoy the rest of the series. I Oh, of swearing uh, the swearing. Okay. Yes. I thought you were going to say Johnny, Survivor. Only, no, no, he <laughs> only allowed me to watch one episode. No, Johnny's gone, so now I can get back to my true crime binge. Yes. So it's going to be, next week is going to be like, okay, so I watched fucking Heaven's Gate, and I yeah. watched Ripper, and I watched fucking Night
0: Stalker, which comes out Wednesday. Wednesday, so. Hey, girl. Oh, it already's out by the time we do this, for yeah. sure. Yes. So it'll be out. So we'll hear all about it. And we'll have thoughts for the next one. <laughs> so many thoughts. I'm so sure. So many thoughts. I've been taking a little, a little bit of a, a true crime break. Okay. In my, you gotta do it sometimes. Yeah.
1: A little palate cleanse.
0: I've been rewatching Schitt's Creek and What We Do in the Shadows because that's Amazing. always a good idea. Yeah. Never. Never a bad choice. No, they're they're incredible, both of them. And both of them shouldn't be. Their premises are both like kind of stupid. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I never really thought about it in that context. Both fucking incredible. Yeah this top to bottom the writing the directing the acting all phenomenal and with both of them it's one of those things you watch an episode you're like that was wonderful but you're not going to top that episode and they do and they do. I don't understand how they do it the yes. writers on what we do in the shadows I don't like it baffles my mind how they do every epi- every week there's another episode so so it's fucking good. insane so clever Jackie Daytona? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, uh, like, that's all I have to say. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you. stop this podcast and watch it immediately. It's on FX and it's on Hulu, What We Do in the Shadows. And if you like the movie, this is 10 times better than the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, you don't have to. It's completely different from the movie. Yes. I do feel that you would enjoy it more if you had
1: seen the movie, especially the first season, but
0: not Just, necessary. Just, like, for one scene. For one one episode, really, which isn't really necessary. You're like, oh, okay. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, so I've just been doing that. I just, sometimes I I get my brain bandwidth. can't really process new information after a certain time or if I'm just really tired. So I just go home to the classics. So Arrested Development makes it in there. What We Do in the Shadows makes it in there. Schitt's Creek makes it in there. I Love Lucy makes it in there. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the okay. like A number one for me.
1: I used to watch it a lot as a kid. Fuck yeah. I was really into that. And I dream of Jeannie. Fuck yeah.
0: I was not too much of a bewitched girl. All of them. That Brady Bunch, too. Mm. All of them. Love me some Brady Bunch. When people were watching... I mean, no, I watched Fresh Prince, too, but I watched all that shit. I, I, I'm very much not of my time. I was Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke Show. That's what... I, yeah, I get it. I spent... I totally Naked it. Night was my fucking jam. Really? Fuck. <laughs> Miss Naked Night. Yes. It's been for fucking ever since I thought about that. I don't think it's a thing anymore, right? No, probably not. You know, but oddly enough, Golden Girls never really made it in, into the... Into the me notes. neither and I've had several people recommend that show same. to me and tell me
1: like it's right up my alley and I same. love Betty White. Literally same. And I just I've never gotten into
0: it. Literally same and you want to get into Golden Girls together? Girl yes. <laughs> okay fuck it. Let's have that it. be our, our homework yeah. into, <laughs> in addition to the tour <laughs> paper we write every week. It's like what is Blanche doing this week? Fill us in. I was told like Hey, just like take this time to watch the Golden Girls. This is the perfect time, but I haven't. I get it. There's so many things out there, and I've had yeah. so many recommendations, and it's just sometimes you're not in the mood for something. Yeah, and I'm certain that I'll watch it and be obsessed with it, yeah. and everyone will be like, "Yeah, we've been telling you for literally ever." But uh, yeah. I'm just late bloomer. I do shit my time. Yeah. Ease me
1: into it. Yeah. I started a list while I was editing of all of the things you kept telling me and recommending to me to watch that I hadn't been watching because I've been on my big survivor kick with Johnny, so. <laughs> I get
0: it, though. I understand when you're you're bitching something and you just need to see it through. Yes. I get it. It's also one of those things, like, sometimes I just have a hard time deciding, so it's sure. easier to just be like,
1: yeah, The next episode. Sure. I'm like, it's yeah, right, whatever. I'll yeah, be yeah. doing something on my phone anyway. Yeah, totally. I got that. It's harder to focus on a true crime documentary. Because you
0: have to you have to really pay attention. Yeah. Like, I
1: need the details. I need the suspects. Like, we got to figure this out by the end of the documentary. Right. So I need all the information. I can't be just fucking around on my phone. Right, exactly. And if your bandwidth isn't there to be yeah. like, I'm paying attention, then, yeah, you can't. I feel pay. like that happened with the Heaven's Gate one for me, honestly. It was like, I put it on with full intention of sitting down and paying attention and
0: watching it. And I just couldn't. I saw the Heaven's Gate documentary while I was in Miami with my friend Christina. And I, you know, I guess it's my people pleasing slash my favorite thing in the whole world is to have a thing that I love and then share it with someone that I love. Yes. My favorite thing in the world. Be like, Oh my God, don't you love Dole Whips? They're amazing. I know. (laughs) They are fucking amazing. They are fucking amazing. (laughs) If you don't know what a Dole Whip is, I'm Uh. so sorry for your life. Like you're missing out. It's amazing. So while, you know, Christina and I watched the documentary, Together at the same time when it dropped, I had already done my deep dive into Heaven's Gate. You knew all the shit, yeah. so I knew most of the things that they they were going to talk about. So it was just this thing of like, this is crazy, yeah. And that sometimes I would interject and be like, by the way, the thing they're not saying is this thing happened and this person and blah I blah 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 blah, blah. Because I'm very kind of a, not kind of I am obsessive. I it's part of my <laughs> part of my charm. So I have an obsessive personality, so I do deep dives into things, and then I want to share this information with people, and two unsuspecting victims yeah. who are usually not remotely <laughs> interested at all. I was
1: interested. I was totally down. I yeah. was one of these uh, quote-unquote victims at first, I'm sure. That's true. I was like,
0: no, I'm about this. You were on, on board. You are on board. The lobotomy came up, and I was like... And I lost my shit. Fuck yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, I clapped. There
1: were, like, hands on knees. I, like, got low because I like, couldn't even like, handle the pressure of what you were putting on me. I was like,
0: holy shit, this is happening. I think you was still, like, cool at that point because we didn't really know each <laughs> other. So you had he had some level of chill. It was just more, like, you know that guy won a Nobel Prize for inventing the lobotomy. And I was like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> I'm glad you perceived me as being chill in this scenario because in my memory, I am, like, fangirling out so hard. And oh, I can't handle it. I st- no, I it, I oh, only good. found out about the fangirling after the fact when you would tell me about going home <laughs> to your boyfriend and recounting our conversations of all the day. Of them, yes, he would be bitching nonstop
1: about his day at work, and I would just be like, "Well,
0: best I had day. the best day." I was like,
1: "Here's what Monique and I talked about," and he'd be like, "That sounds horrifying." And I was like, "It was the best." It was. Do amazing. you know about the Nexium cult? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you all about it. <laughs> A little armless rape story for you. Just sprinkle that in, real nice. Mary Vincent, what a fucking um, boss, badass. Yeah. Um, I did look up the age of consent in the. So did I. It's sixteen, which is still too fucking. Which young. is too fucking young, especially since he was not seventeen. He was not seventeen. I have deep concerns about Japan,
0: which is thirteen. Ah. Japan, what what's up? What's no. what up? that does not seem cool. You know, that was one of those things. I remember. I transferred out of my elementary school to junior high for two years before going to high school. So 7th and 8th grade, I was in junior high. And, you know, I had transferred in. I was the new girl, so I was the target. And all of those kids had been in school together since, like, fourth Super kindergarten. Great. You know, because that's when the, you need to go to 57 kindergartens before you make it to first grade situation was when that yeah. that started. Yeah. You're, like, 47 by the time you get to first grade. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how this happened. Girl. So they were all, you know, cool with each other and clicky and I came in and everyone fucking hated me and made my life impossible. Youth, it's terrible. <laughs> and I remember one of the things, I mean, pick them, there were so many things that they bullied me about, but one of the things that they, that like the popular cool girls bullied me about was that I didn't have a boyfriend and all these girls were like 12 years old, 13 years old, and they had yeah. 18 year old boyfriends. Oh. And they'd talk about all the sexual shit that they do, and I'd be like, well, that's like a felony, though. Yeah. And would be like, no, but like, you know, you like date boys and I date men. It's like, oh, Felony. No. That's a felony. That's a creepy. And so when I, I looked at the age of consent, also, and I was like, ugh. 16. Like 16 and 20. Like, that's fucking gross and weird. If you're well into college and you're trolling for. High schoolers. Girl, no. Like, freshmen. freshman high school. Yeah. Like, uh-uh. Look at your life. Look at your choices. And no. it's that thing, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I look at guys who are like 18, 20, and they look so fucking young. Yeah. They look so young. So when you hear these things of like, you know, teachers having sex with their students or whatever, like, I really just think that that's just a pedophilia thing. Yeah. Because, like, I can't get wet for a dude who's 17 years old. No. No. Like, at all. Like, you look so young. Yeah. And I've definitely dated guys who are significantly younger than me, but, like, unlike this sack of shit, McAfee, they actually are well into the age of (laughs) consent. They're they're well past (laughs) the age of being able to legally drink. Yeah, that was... (laughs) That was definitely an
1: exaggeration. Like,
0: well into the age of consent. Like, so like, they're 17
1: instead of 16. Like, 16. They're
0: one year over the age of consent, so it's cool. Like 16 and three quarters. And like that. how those kids, the kids are always like, yes. I'm five and three quarters. Is con- no, you're five. You're Settle five down. years old. Relax. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I also have a correction. Yes. When I was bringing up the movie Little Monsters. Is it, that guy not in it? He is in it. Okay. He's not the monster, though. Oh shit! He's the dad. How dare you? <laughs> I haven't seen. You this. said look like, like painted 30. blue. Yeah. No, but okay. Who is painted blue? Is Howie Mandel. Oh. My which God. is even weirder. That's so weird. That's so, so weird. So Daniel, because I was like, did I just make up Daniel Stern being Daniel in this movie? movie? Yeah. No, he's the He's the boy's dad. Okay. okay. That Howie says. Mandel is the blue painted monster. Okay. Still horrifying. Still traumatizing. Still traumatizing. Does I not change it anything fun. else about that movie. Correct. Sure. I, I just got the characters wrong. There you go. There you go. But because I'm, I, I like to not be a fuck up. I guess <laughs> I'm, it, just, I'm, I'm correcting it. I get it. It's also
1: one like, of like it just gets in your brain where you're like, is that right? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll hear myself say shit that I'm like, I gotta look that up. That does not sound like it's right. And then I look it up. Like, God damn it! I have to make a correction. I didn't know. See. I thought I knew and I didn't. I was pretty certain I was right, but I was like, let's revisit that was, this. That, that was, was such a random thing to make a correction on. Like, I'm impressed I you looked that up and you were like, no, I need to do a deep dive on little
0: monsters. Like, yeah. no. I mean, it wasn't a deep dive. It was a quick IMDB search, but, <laughs> but because I would be pissed. <laughs> I would be pissed if I knew that that wasn't good. right. And especially since it's been brought to my attention repeatedly, how people really enjoy the pop culture references which is funny to me because this isn't planned this is just how I talk this is yes I think we talked about this I, I did a Myers-Briggs I did my Myers-Briggs yes. test several years ago okay. I had an INFJ yes which is uh introvert intuitive feeling judging and one of the personality traits of an INFJ is that their brain works relationally okay so they don't they don't understand something and they don't know how to explain something without referencing something else. Okay. Which I'm like, that's, that's like, they you, are... Yeah. I, to a T, that's you. That's yeah. me to a T, yeah. And an INFJ isn't isn't going to tell you, you're going to go Southwest down 95. An INFJ is going to say, you're going to make a left at the McDonald's. Yeah. That's just how my brain understands. So if I'm having a moment with someone, it'll be like, have you seen Sex in the City? This, this is what's happening. Is like this episode of Sex and the reminds me of this and not reminds me of that, so, yes. So I felt a very deep <laughs> desire to double-check myself on Little Monsters because I wasn't certain I was completely correct on it. And I turned out to be right. There you go. Look at that. There you go. Trust that's your gut.
1: <laughs> uh, that's... <laughs> I don't think that's the situation that's supposed to be brought in, but I love it. <laughs>
0: Correct. I'm getting a little silly. i getting a little silly today. And we're having subpar Palomas. Uh, okay. <laughs> Amy, it's fine.
1: Amy is deeply devastated about these Palomas. because She is,
0: but it's fine.
1: She <gasps> but it's only because is. you gave me the better version, so that's what I was expecting when I bought these, and then I was very disappointed by my tequila club soda bullshit that I got, basically.
0: Yeah, it's basically like a tequila... What the fuck's that thing called? White like Claw? a White Claw? Yeah, it's like a tequila White Claw. It's really terrible. It's fine. The Jose Cuervo ones are amazing. If you want to try the
1: Jose Cuervo Little Palomas, they're great. Cut water, step your game up. Not impressed.
0: Yeah, no. I know. I just think that they're jumping on that, on the, like, truly they seltzer, yeah. uh, the White Claw bandwagon. But it's like, but this is tequila We're cutting edge. Uh, you
1: know. No. I mean it's fine. I added lime juice. It's she made it it's palatable, I guess. It's fine. I'm drinking I it. say with deep resignation.
0: <laughs> I'm drinking it. I'm not upset. I mean I'm drinking it too. <laughs> We're not gonna not drink, okay? Obviously. <laughs> this is our, our fuel. Popeye has spinach. <laughs> we we is, is that fucking reference. I don't know. Does anyone even watch Popeye? Does anyone know what the fuck I'm talking about? I uh, I feel I'm
1: consoling myself with yes. Because I know what you're talking about. I'm almost positive that was Robin Williams' first movie, it was Popeye. I mean, that's definitely what I'm picturing in my head, even though I also have the cartoon. Like, I'm definitely picturing Robin Williams. I'm pretty sure that was his first movie. Really? Almost That's popular. awful. That's so terrible. I mean... Yeah. Isn't Shelley Duvall olive
0: oh, uh-huh. oil well, too yes. from
1: The Shining? Yeah. I mean, great casting on there. Oh, it's I mean, yeah. phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> I never thought we would talk about <laughs> a <fucking> deep cut... <laughs> Would bring up the Popeye movie in our pop culture references. It did not occur to me.
0: Pop culture is a really loose term. Here.
1: It really is. It really <laughs> is.
0: Oh my god. I also had like a vintage typewriter shipped to my apartment today. So like, Did you? I did. I'm hardcore jealous about that. Oh, yeah, this is my second vintage typewriter. Did you typewriter. buy this specifically? Because it was like a salmon colored pink. Oh, okay. And I thought it would go great in my living room. That's you have no me. intention of using this typewriter. This mm-hmm. is not a functional. I don't. Typewriter. I don't believe it's functional. No, okay. which is why I got it for sixty-five bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's awesome, though.
1: I love that. Yes,
0: I do have a typewriter keyboard for my iPad that is like ping, ping, ping Like it's. Oh, I have that's that. And I do have another typewriter that is functional, but like it needs a new ribbon and a whole thing. I'm like, mm. no. So but great. it looks amazing on my bar cart. Yeah, I'm
1: sure. Fuck yeah. That's very cool. I love vintage typewriters, so.
0: I have two vintage cameras, now two vintage typewriters. I just realized that happiness is filling my apartment with a bunch of old shit.
1: Oh, and, uh, all right.
0: And sugar skulls. Yeah, fuck
1: it. <laughs> Whatever you got going to do. It's the motif. Yeah. going on? I mean, I clearly have a plant
0: thing going. You do. A little bit. But it's I nice. It's like one... It's turning our, our gabbing into oxygen. <laughs> That's so very keeping true. keeping us alive. We're getting out a lot of carbon dioxide here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, it's like signs of life. It's nice. Especially in the city. Yeah. Very nice. And in the winter when it's cold and sad. It's right.
1: beautiful. My beautiful green plants. They're very beautiful. Thank you. I killed two of them this week, so I'm a, <laughs> little, I'm a little sad. You need to I replace it. So Amy's dad for Christmas got her a Bob Ross chia pet. Oh, yeah, he did. I have yet to do it. Just because I'm being lazy about it. you got to yeah. do it. And then when it grows, we got to put it on the Instagram. Done. Fuck. Done. All right. Fuck it. I'll do it tonight. I'll, I'll, yes. do- I'll drunkenly uh, slap, Can I watch you do slap, this? Yeah. i will only see the infomercials. On, <laughs> on there. Yeah. Fuck it. You
0: knew we were going to do it. Come on. We had to. All right. Do you have any more corrections or spooky story? No.
1: I mean, there's probably a million corrections, but since nobody called me on it. Oh, I was going to tell you a random story, but now Tell me a random story. The other night, I'm just sitting in the office editing. It's about 9.50, so almost 10 o'clock, and the doorbell rings, which is very odd. And, you know, Johnny comes out of the bedroom, and we get the, like, what the fuck look. So I'm like, I mean, I'm not answering the door at 10 o'clock at night as a tiny little yeah. girl. So I was like, go, big strong man, to the door to protect me. Do you guys not have a an eye hole thing? Yes. A peephole? Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> like- an <laughs> hole. I'm not even drunk, I'm I sorry, swear a, to you. There, it's
1: a Rick and Morty bit, so I'm fucking dying even though you don't watch Rick and Morty. It was like, my eye I mean, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sending that to you later. Like, I'm going to get you into Rick and Morty somehow, like okay. slowly but surely. Yes.
0: I'll, I'll watch I'll watch Rick and Morty tonight. Ooh.
1: All okay. right. So there was a people who definitely could have gotten and look. But it's one of those things, like, if you look and you decide, like, okay, that person's creepy,
0: then what do you do? You, do you just, just don't open the walk door. Walk away from the door, I guess. Yeah. So. You're allowed to do that.
1: Are you going to feel like.
0: I'm sorry, am I offending (laughs) the rapist and murderer and thief? I don't want him to feel bad. I would think that. No, because women are trained to feel that way. Yes, yes. You're you're trained to put your attacker's feelings above your bodily safety. Smash the patriarchy, guys. (laughs) Get it done. Uh, So Johnny answers the door.
1: There's one of our neighbors there, and he says, his neighbor, they can't reach her. Usually he has a key to her apartment. He wants to go and check on her. They can't figure out a way to get into her apartment. Can he use our fire escape to go down and like see if her window's open and see if he can get in her apartment that way? Johnny's like, yeah, sure. Of course.
0: You could also be saying that to fucking Ted Bundy. What the fuck are you doing, Johnny? (laughs) This is not a bro code thing. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. I was like, are you Call the cops and have them do a welfare check. What the fuck? a fail whale. Big no, time. It's so Johnny thinks nothing is wrong with this. He's like, yeah, sure, totally. Because he's a dude. He's not raping and murdering him.
1: <laughs> I love you so much for freaking out of this because this is what's happening in my head the whole time but I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. No, girl.
0: You're like, oh, that's when you're like, can we just have a little time out? Do you not know that what I do is a true crime podcast and I hear- I'm a- mess. I tell stories like this every fucking week. Are you fucking kidding me? We're going to be accessories to this fucking rape, murder, theft. What the
1: fuck? Oh my God, I'm dying. Oh, this reaction is correct. a 100% correct. So Johnny lets women. He fucking crawls out our window. He gets down the fire escape. While the guy's outside, Johnny, whatever, goes in the kitchen. And I beeline to the kitchen. And I'm like, what are the odds that we're aiding and abetting something right now? And Johnny looks at me and says, I, that didn't even occur to me.
0: Of course the fuck it didn't! I was like, that was fucking thought number two after this guy's going to kill Both of us, Yeah. Or he's going to come back and finish the job because you don't leave a fucking witness. What the fuck?
1: woman's window was locked he could not get in to get her he was still continuously worried about her he came back through our window and left our apartment and was just like i will try to contact somebody to get
0: and dedicate to her apartment and and for people who don't realize in new york i've been living in my building in april will be 12 years i don't know a single fucking neighbor anyone can come up to me and be like hey i'm your neighbor that may be true it may not be. I literally don't fucking know. That's a very New York thing. Yes. No one knows their neighbors. It's not like when you move in, someone's like, I made you a flan. Welcome to the neighborhood. No. That shit doesn't <laughs> happen. So I don't know if you actually know this person. No.
1: Okay. So here's the thing. He, because it's the way my building's set up, it's two buildings that are attached together, but you need separate keys to get into each side. So mm. he is from the other side of the building. So you don't know this person. Yes, technically our buildings are still connected though Like if I go down sure. downstairs to the basement I can walk over to the other building And I can go up into their lobby without having a key to the outside right. And our fire escapes work the same way So the fire escape goes from my window to my bedroom To the person who lives in the other building's bedroom window as well I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's the same layout So he literally went down our fire escape on our side To walk across to his side to go, I guess, check the window Call the cops, <laughs> do a welfare check I'm hoping he did that already. Because he could... I can't remember his name. Her name was Dorothy. That's all I remember. He could also be an ex stalking her. That's what I said, too. I was like, oh, my God. Dorothy's dead, and I fucking helped. God damn it. There
0: are so many scenarios in which this is not a good situation.
1: Oh, my God, yes. Johnny's Johnny's like,
0: come on in.
1: Johnny thought of zero of those situations. He was like, yeah, this guy just wants to check on the saver. All of those situations ran through my head immediately. Dude, and I was the, like, no.
0: The bliss of being a man. I, I don't even know what that's like. I no. can't even imagine
1: a world in which the murder-rape option doesn't immediately come forward.
0: There, there's a, an episode of Master of None where yes. you see that it's the same night and Aziz is like leaving someplace, I think, to go to his car to go home. And then his female friend is leaving wherever to go home. Yes. And you see how like he's just like whatever and she's like has the keys in between her her, her knuckles (laughs) and is like (laughs) aware of where the fuck she's like going of her surroundings if someone's like you know the shadow that's like going next to you are you are they walking too close to you are they walking are are the footsteps getting quicker to you that's what it is to be a woman all of the fucking time yes to just be on the phone with somebody just so
1: you can be talking to somebody who like knows where you are and you can be constantly giving a rundown. Or have that like yes. pre uh,
0: you know nine one one on your phone queued up, yeah. up. Just mm. be like, no, come on in. What's that like? What's, What's that? that? So nice. I mean, yeah. <laughs> thank God for you, Amy. <laughs> I know because he's gonna he's gonna find himself in some shit. Thank yeah you for saying yeah. that. He was thank you for having wrong. the
1: appropriate reaction to yeah. that because
0: Johnny thought I was being crazy. Be sure to cue this up. <laughs> I'll play it back one. and play it for him. Done, because he needs to see just how wrong he was in every possible fucking way. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, do you have a spooky story for us that doesn't involve your boyfriend aiding and abetting?
1: <laughs> I do. <laughs> a I serial do. murder, have a- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Johnny, you're gonna get fucking. People are gonna come for you. I? <laughs> and dare you should. endanger me?
0: I'm sanctioning this
1: coming for it. <laughs> Alright, my story this week, I finally found the thing I've been searching for. So we are going to do an alien abduction story.
0: Fuck yes! I needed
1: it. I I was craving it, and I wasn't getting it, and you know what? Sometimes you just got to do something yourself. Absolutely, and here's the thing,
0: on the reel, I wasn't going to do it.
1: I knew this, and (laughs) I knew this about you. We talked about this, you're not big on the UFO thing, and I totally am, and I'm happy to... uh, Pick up that niche for you. Yeah. No problem with that. This story comes from the book Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind: Alien Abduction, UFOs, and the Conference at MIT by Cortland Dixon Barnes Bryan, who goes by CDB Bryan. Just a small quick little background about him. Brian is a well-respected journalist. Again, this is his last name. It sounds like I'm calling him by his first name and being very informal, but Again, his first name is Cortland-Dixon Barnes, which is a mouthful.
0: I mean, that's like a fucking law firm. Yeah.
1: It does sound like a law firm. (laughs) Uh. So Brian is a well-respected journalist who graduated from Yale and has contributed articles to many periodicals, including The New York Times, The New Yorker, The New Republic, Esquire, Harper's, Saturday Review, and The Weekly Standard. Damn. His nonfiction book, Friendly Fire, was made into a television movie that won a Peabody Award and an Emmy. Shit. So this dude's... Legit. Legit. So in 1992, Brian was invited to attend a five-day abduction study conference being held at MIT. Holy shit! I know. At MIT? At MIT. And according to the invitation, they were, quote, organizing a scientific conference to assess the similarities and differences in the findings of various investigators studying people who report experiences of abductions by aliens and the related issues of this phenomenon. One of the features of this conference will be an abductee panel... With abductees drawn widely from the community. End quote. So there's the chairman of the conference who is MIT physicist David E. Pritchard. He graduated from Harvard, won a Broida prize. Again, he won a what? Broida prize? Which is Okay, never heard of it. Which is an award that's given out biannually for outstanding experimental advances in the fields of atomic, molecular, and optical physics. That's why I don't know it. There you go. Okay. Again, (laughs) it it wasn't something that (laughs) rang. yeah, no, it wasn't something that (laughs) I recognized right off the top of my head either. He won an award in physics. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. He knows what the fuck time it is. Yes. The co-chairman of the conference is Johnny Mack, who graduated from Harvard Medical School, degree in psychiatry, and is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Again, big deal. He actually wrote the 1977... Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, shit! Yes. Big deal. Big deal. So, you might think that a quote-unquote scientific conference on alien abductions would be easily dismissed, and you certainly would have been, but for the credentials of those chairing it and the site of the conference, that quote-unquote high church of technology. The chairman of the conference does make it clear that while this is a conference being held at MIT, it is not an MIT conference. Quote, it's not that MIT endorses the conference, but it's that they endorse the principle that the faculty should be given enough rope to make fools of themselves. Many of them think I'm doing just that. End quote. Okay. But as Brian states, the author, it's also hard to dismiss the disturbing credibility, generally speaking, of the hundreds of individuals who, uncontaminated by exposure to any previous unidentified flying object lore or to each other, have so hesitantly, reluctantly, timidly come forward with their utterly incredible accounts of having been abducted and examined in UFOs, not by little green men, but rather, for the most part, by spindly-limbed, three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half-foot-tall, telepathic gray creatures with oversized foreheads dominated by huge, compelling, tear-shaped black eyes. Mm. And it is in the similarities of these abduction stories and the consistency of their details that the true mystery lies. For, as John Mack would ask at the abduction study conference, if what these abductees are saying is happening to them isn't happening what is. Mm. So after the conference, Brian had the opportunity to interview Maryland residents Carol Dedham and Alice Bartlett about their strange experiences. He refers to them as that, but I think he changed their names because in a previous chapter, he thanks them with their name in quotations. He thanks quote unquote Carol Mm -hmm. and quote unquote Alice for their interview. Carol says, quote, first of all, You have to understand that before any of this came about, before we started asking ourselves questions about any of this, we didn't know anything about this abduction stuff. We didn't know anything about any of what we even then considered weird junk or strange stuff. We were aware, of course, of UFOs, and it was all fascinating stuff. But then, in September 1990, we had our first experience. (gasps) On a Friday evening, Alice, Carol, and Alice's younger sister, Grace, were enjoying a coffee after dinner in their farmhouse when they noticed strange brilliant white lights in the sky through the sliding glass door that led to their back deck. They left their coffee and went outside to get a better look. High in the sky to the west, three bright white lights floated in a triangle. Off to the south, where they were standing, were more lights. The women were absolutely certain they weren't stars. They thought they might have been seeing helicopters with their spotlights on since small army bases dot that part of Maryland. Carol remembers thinking, if they were helicopters, they were behaving oddly. Mm. As the women watched, the three white lights appeared to be approaching, though the light at the top of the triangle seemed to be lagging behind. For several minutes, Carol, Alice, and Grace watched the lights grow brighter and brighter until they knew that if the lights were helicopters, they would have been able to hear the rotor blades above the normal sounds of a warm country night. Then, abruptly, all the rural night sounds ceased. There were no cicadas or crickets, <sighs> no distant barking dogs, no muted creak or sounds of the horses. As the lights became blindingly bright, the night felt absolutely still. They heard no sounds at all. That's fucking terrifying. <sighs> we talked about the cicadas. Yes. Your fucking, uh, curse. Yes. Yeah. It's eerie. It's eerie. Suddenly, one of the lights streaked away from the other two so swiftly it left a white track on the women's retinas. They all exclaimed excitedly, and Grace went to see if it could be seen out front.
0: I'm sorry, wh- where is this taking place again?
1: Maryland. Maryland, okay. Carol says, the light shot off to the northeast at such tremendous speed that when it appeared to our right in a different place, it was as though it had left this trail of light behind it. Carol quickly checked to see if the other two lights had also moved, but they hadn't. She recalls watching the third light with Alice for a couple minutes more, and then the light seemed to zoom away from them in a straight line and disappear. A moment later, Grace came back and reported that there's nothing out front. What was puzzling to Alice and Carol was that their memories of what they had witnessed did not match. Alice recalls there having been five lights and additional two had been in a row to the left Mm -hmm. to the west of the three in the triangle. Carol remembers Grace commenting on two lights that she had seen in the south. Alice recalls having watched the lights for a while and then because she was getting cold, although Carol remembered the evening was warm, going back into the house while Carol and Grace remained outside to watch. Carol says Alice stayed with her the entire time the lights were visible. Carol thinks they were visible for about five minutes and Alice thinks they were visible for a half an hour. Wow. Alice does not recall Grace being outside at all. And what the two women did agree upon, however, was that they had never felt in any danger. Rather than being afraid, they had been excited at seeing something that few people they believed ever saw. To the best of their recollection, after the September sighting of the triangular array of lights behind their farm, there had not been another UFO experience until 15 months later in mid-December of
0: 1991. That is one of those things I've looked into UFO stories or, or strange phenomena stories of this thing of people being together, but the thing they're seeing is different. Yes. And is that just a difference in your perception of the event? Yeah. Or is it manifesting differently to yes. you in some way? Or... I don't fucking know. I but, don't know. But it's a, it's interesting because it's a thing that I've come across multiple times. Yes. In UFO phenomena. Yes. And it's one
1: of those things. I included it because... For two reasons. One, the skepticism, like, okay, they don't remember it all correctly, so maybe this is not actually what's occurring, and there's obviously some sort of problem in the eyewitness testimony in this case. Or it's that they aren't perceiving the same thing because they're being mastered by aliens in some sort of... Yeah. Yeah. On December 15th, Carol had been to visit her parents in Hagerstown, about 70 miles west of the horse farm, and was driving Alice's aging Toyota back on a Sunday night. It was about 8.30 and very dark. She was about six miles from the entrance to their farm on Route 32. While not likely to be heavily traveled at that time of night, it would not have been unusual to see a few locals on the road. But that night, she had passed no cars on that stretch of state highway at all. As she was driving, Carol was startled to see three bright white lights in a row, visible through the tops of the pines on her left-hand side. She wasn't frightened. She just thought, wow, it's them. They look like the same lights. She pulled to the side of the road next to the mailbox for one of the houses, thinking she ought to find somebody. Go to one of the houses, get the people out so that they too could see the lights, but neither of the houses had any lights on. A detail that, for such an hour on a Sunday evening, would later strike her as odd, although it did not make any impression on her at the time. She put on her hazard lights, rolled down the window, and leaned out to get an unobstructed view across the road. The lights were so bright the whole area was lit up. She then decided to leave the car to get closer so she could get a better view. Which, like, brave shit I would do, but ill-advised. Yeah. Would you get out of the car?
0: You know, probably. That's I, what I want to hear. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. I probably would. I I would just be like, what the fuck? What the fuck uh, is that? Yeah. I guess I'm not, I don't have a visceral fear of yeah, UFOs okay, and, that makes and sense. aliens. Yeah. Like I do ghost-y possibly, things. like, ghosty things. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. You've had a little bit more of a personal experience with ghosty things. Which so. is probably why. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Can see that. It, it's just ignorance. Or I'd be like, what's this? <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> it's ill-advised.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So Carol makes her way closer to the lights. She says, it was absolutely silent. There were no nocturnal sounds at all. She could see the lights in a horizontal row over the trees. She was determined to discover what was causing them and she wanted to make out details, but she was blinded. The lights were so bright they physically hurt her eyes. Frustrated, she shielded her eyes with her hand and looked up through her fingers. Suddenly, like before, one of the lights shot away, this time straight over her head. Carol spun around to see where it had gone and saw it was now above her. It was huge and hovering directly overhead, seemingly so close she could reach up and touch it. Its brightness illuminated everything. Standing there, alone on the gravel shoulder of the road, Carol couldn't understand why there weren't other people gathered around her looking up at this light, too. Why hadn't other cars come along and stopped? And why hadn't the inhabitants of the two houses come running out? Carol tried to make out its details. She thought she could see two smaller blue lights on either side of the main beam, and then she wondered if if the remaining two bright white shining objects were still over the trees. As she turned back to look, she blinked. When she opened her eyes again, she was five miles away in Alice's Toyota, making the right-handed turn off Route 32 onto the road that leads to the farm. She had no recollection whatsoever of what happened between the moment she looked away from the huge, brilliant object overhead and when she found herself turning onto the driveway to the farm.
0: That's fucking wild.
1: She says of the incident, quote, It's just a total blank to me, except that when I arrived at the farm, I was completely disoriented and felt like I wanted to throw up. My nose was running, my eyes were watery as though I had been crying for hours, and I had no idea what those reactions were from. Carol parked Alice's Toyota in the garage, got out, and made it as far as the laundry room passageway, between the garage and the house, before she collapsed in front of Grace. Grace was panicked, asking if Carol was alright, asking her why she was bleeding. Carol hadn't realized, and Grace told her her ears were bleeding. Holy shit! Carol lifted her fingers to her ears. Her fingertips came away wet. Her head ached. Her eyes burned. She still felt disoriented and nauseous. But your
0: ears bleeding is such a, like, specific... Like, that's not a thing that just happens. Yes. It's not like a nosebleed. It's like, oh, you know, altitude, whatever. Some people are more prone to nosebleeds, whatever. Like, when the fuck do your your ears ears bleed? Yeah. It's not a pervy Japanese
1: guy who shoots the fucking... This is where my weird anime references... (laughs) Because I'm like, what is happening right now? (laughs) Japanese anime, it is very common that when a male character gets sexually aroused... That he, one, gets a nosebleed, and sometimes, because it's a cartoon, the nosebleed is a huge gushing gushing that literally, like, shoots them up and across the fucking room, so. I used
0: to date a guy that whenever we would get amorous, he would get a nosebleed. nosebleed? He was not Japanese. He was very, very white. I wasn't even going to ask that question, but I feel like I should (laughs) have. He was very, very,
1: very white. Interesting. Yeah. It was a mood killer, for sure. Yeah, I mean... I have to deal with a bunch of blood, and like, if you're kissing when it happens, like, guess not
0: I mean, luckily, it was not, I never noticed it was happening. Like, we would be making out or whatever, and he'd be like, ugh. And I'd be like, what's happening? And then a nosebleed would, like, ugh. You're
1: just too much for him, Moni. Obviously.
0: <laughs> can't handle that shit.
1: Oh, <laughs> Bleeding out the ears, though. Fuck. Yes. When she held her fingertips before her eyes, her hands shook. Grace ran off to get a washcloth to clean her off, and Carol again touched her earlobes. There was something wrong with her earrings, but she wasn't sure what it was. Grace was wiping off the blood when she noticed that Carol's earlobes were swollen and her earrings were in backwards. What the fuck? Which, anyone who's ever worn earrings knows you would never fucking do that. No! Never.
0: Like, how do you do that? It makes no fucking sense. (sighs) Creepy. Well, this is like the Unsolved Mysteries alien story where they were in the car, but... They were in moved the, around moved in, in, the, seats. in the car. Yes. The seats, they were because they didn't
1: know where they had been sitting originally. Yeah. Girl, it looked. She later told Carol as if someone had ripped the earrings out of Carol's ears and tried to put them back in, but had inserted them wrong. Stop!
0: Oh, this I is know.
1: like I'm getting chills. This yes! is crazy. Okay, that was my goal. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to give Moni chills with this one. That's my. That was my
0: mission accomplished.
1: When Carol asked Grace what time it was, she was alarmed to realize it was much later than she expected. She had noted the time when she turned on to Route 32, and even with her brief stop to look at the lights, she should have been home by 9, but it was almost 10, and Carol had no recollection of the 45 minutes to an hour that she had lost before she remembered turning into the driveway. The following morning, Carol told Alice only the barest details of what had occurred, that she had seen the lights again, that she had gotten home late, and that something strange had happened with her earrings. She was worried Alice would think she was crazy and fire her. Alice, seeing her distress, had tried to make light of the incident. She told Carol that she had probably just misread the clock in the car, and as for the earrings, maybe Carol had slept on them wrong. No, like, literally, no. there's
0: no way you sleep on it wrong. Then you put it, in put back it in
1: backwards. backwards. But does... I get it. If the, if the person's like distressed, you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like I'll tell you whatever you need to hear
0: to make you. But the thing is, that. is that they know. They know something's fucking up. So in a way, like I understand the impulse to try and take care of them and soothe them, but it comes across as gaslighting. Yes. Because they're like, no, something fucking happened to me. Something's happening. And it's that thing, last podcast does a, a lot of alien stories and abduction stories and stuff. And one of the things, because then of course- The skeptical thing that comes out a lot is people are are using this for profit. They're doing this to profit and to, like, get money, whatever. And the thing that repeatedly, when Last Podcast researches their stories, is they're like, this has ruined every single person's life. Yeah, no one's making money. No one's making money. They just are completely fucked up for the rest of their life. They're not going on, like, a book tour. No, they're They're,
1: traumatized. They're
0: traumatized as fuck. They don't want to leave their house. They're like, this fucking happened to me, and I know what happened to me, and everyone thinks I'm fucking crazy, but I'm not.
1: And some of those things, like, the comforting thing is that you're crazy and you're making it up. Of course. Like, that's the comforting thing to you, is that you're literally losing your mind. Yeah. Because the other reality is so crazy and far-fetched to you that like that is preferable like I'm insane and I'm losing my mind and this makes sense yeah because aliens there's no way at that time neither of the women had made any connection between what had happened to Carol and the appearance of what they believed were UFOs
0: Alice said oh really yeah girl slow on the uptick
1: right Alice said it wasn't until the next incident that we knew something was wrong about two weeks later, on January 2nd, 1992, Carol had driven into the nearest town for an early business dinner. When they had finished, the associate told Carol she had a Christmas gift for her and when they left the restaurant, they went to grab it from the car. The woman handed her shoebox-sized size package, elaborately wrapped with expensive Christmas paper and a beautiful red ribbon and bow. Carol commented on the heavy weight of the package and the woman told her it was brownies, fruitcake, cookies, and fudge. After thanking her, they parted ways and Carol headed home. Just before leaving the restaurant, Carol opened a fresh pack of cigarettes and slid it into her cigarette case. She noted that the truck had about a half a tank of gas when she had started out for the restaurant, so she knew she had just enough gas to make it home. On the drive back on Route 91, Carol passed a 7-Eleven. The store was all lit up, but she could tell there wasn't anybody inside. And it struck her as extremely odd that at 9 on a Thursday night, no one was at the 7-Eleven buying beer. It also seemed strange to her that the two low ranch houses across from the convenience store were also dark. Still, Carol didn't think it was anything to make a big deal of and continued on home. After three quarters of the mile, she again saw the three lights. They were ahead of her and 30 degrees above the horizon, a little bit to her left. This time, Carol was scared. She said, quote, Oh God, I know what this is. I know what this is. End quote. Oh my God. As she watched the three lights come closer, getting brighter, Carol blinked. Suddenly, she was not on Route 91 as she had been before, but on Route 32, going 45 miles an hour through the slow curve just before the groves of pines where she had seen the three bright white lights two and a half weeks before. In the blink of an eye, she found herself eight miles away on a different road, heading in a totally different direction on the other side of the farm. What the fuck? She was absolutely terrified. She floored the accelerator trying to get home as fast as she could. Alice's younger brother, Greg, who was visiting for the holidays, was standing at the back door of the farmhouse when he saw the truck race in. He watched it skid to a halt in a shower of gravel, saw Carol kick open the door, tumble out, and he hurried over to help her inside. Carol was hyperventilating. Her whole body was shaking. When Grace asked her what happened, Carol said, quote, I don't know. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going out of my mind. I'm crazy. We better do something with me. I'm going to wreck all of the farm's vehicles, kill myself, or I'm going to kill somebody else. End nice. quote. Yeah. Like, I get it. If yeah. you fucking are driving and then you just lose time and you're still driving, like, what did I do during that 45 minutes while I'm quote unquote driving that I don't remember? Yeah. Did I like, hit somebody? Five fucking, fucking minutes. Yeah. Leaving Grace to deal with Carol, Greg went to move the truck into the garage. Carol's briefcase, purse, and the Christmas gift were all on the floor of the cab where they had fallen. So Greg picked them up, took one more look around to see if there was anything else to bring in, then brought her belongings back into the house. When he returned to Carol, he handed her her cigarette case. She opened it, but the pack was empty. She was surprised, telling them she had just filled it and they must have all fallen out. Greg said, no, there was nothing left in the truck. He told her everything had been on the floor of the truck as though she had come to a sudden stop. She reminded him that she stopped suddenly when she parked in front of the house, but he said, no, he watched her skid into the driveway and it would have required a much faster stop. He said, there's another thing, the truck smells funny. (gasps) When they asked him how it smelled, Greg said, it smells heavy, sort of a dense thick smell. I don't know how else to describe it. Carol then glanced up at the kitchen clock but immediately shut her eyes. It was 10.30 and she realized suddenly she had again lost nearly three quarters of an hour with absolutely no memory of that time. She began to shake uncontrollably. Yeah. The next morning, as Carol was watching Alice straighten up around the Christmas gift on the table, she realized there was something off about it. She noticed the ribbon and the bow were missing and that the wrapping paper had been pulled up on one side and the one corner of the package had been clumsily repaired with masking tape. The original package she knew hadn't had any masking tape on it at all. Originally, she said the gift had looked as if it had been wrapped by a pro. But now she said, quote, it was just gross looking, like some two-year-old kid had gotten a hold of it and tried to wrap it and all he had was masking tape, End quote. <sighs> Carol was staring at the masking tape thinking, this was not here before, what is going on? And then she lifted the package and it didn't weigh anything. <gasps> before it had been dense, like a two-pound box of fudge, but now it felt hollow on one side. A few minutes later, when Grace removed the wrapping paper and opened the box, Carol saw that it contained only a half dozen cookies and a couple of brownies. But the woman who gave it to her said the box had also had a fruitcake and fudge inside. Fucking th- aliens swipe the fruitcake yes! and the fudge. <laughs> They're like, mmm, it's delicious. They got a sweet tooth. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Carol knew neither Greg nor Grace had been into the box, and Alice would not have opened it before she left for work. So who had opened it? And who had rewrapped it and sealed it with masking tape? According to Carol, they didn't use the masking tape on the farm. She even went out to the truck to see if by any chance someone had left a roll of masking tape there. She looked everywhere, but there was no masking tape to be found. While in the truck, she noticed the odor that Greg had mentioned. Carol said it smelled like a greenhouse on a hot summer night that had been closed up. It didn't feel hot. It just had all that organic smell of heat and high humidity. Hmm. Carol also checked the fuel gauges, noting there was just about a quarter of a tank of gas still remaining. She knew there was no way she could have driven around for 45 minutes the night before and not burned up the gas. The next morning, Carol and Alice discussed both what had happened the previous Thursday night and the incident two and a half weeks before when she returned with her earlobes bleeding. That was the first time they thought there might be a connection between those two events and having seen the lights. Alice said, I think what we need to do is call somebody. There are organizations who investigate unusual phenomena. Carol said quote, she was looking for an excuse for what was happening that did not mean that I had lost control, but rather that control had been taken from me. If she wanted to make a hundred phone calls to weird people and find a weird explanation that would take the responsibility away from me, let her do it. But I knew in the end, I was still going to have to deal with the fact that I was having a mental breakdown without any idea of why it was happening.
0: Oh, poor bunny.
1: Yes. Like, I can't imagine that feeling of like feeling you're actually going insane.
0: Yeah. And like feeling like you're going nuts, but also knowing that you're not. not. That shit's weird and unexplainable. And the bit that you can't explain to anybody yeah. why the fuck your earrings are in backwards. Yeah. Or how you lost track of 45 minutes of time twice. And while you're driving,
1: you're very focused on what you're doing. Especially, like, I would assume driving in the country, like, I'm always afraid something's going to run out on the road or something. Sure. Like, I'm always very aware. Hyper-aware. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fucking terrifying. Mm. In the Washington phone book under UFO, Alice found UFO, comma, Fund for research and dialed the number... Don Berliner, a UFO investigator and a prolific author of articles and books on aviation and science answered the phone. Alice explained what Carol was going through and Berliner said there were some people around who had been dealing with this. When Alice told Carol that someone from the Fund for UFO Research would be calling back, Carol said, fine, I'll talk to them, but I have nothing to say. If you stick the phone to my ear and I have no choice, I'm not going to be rude. I'll tell them what happened and they'll tell me to go as a psychiatrist and that will be the end of that. A couple hours later, the fund's researcher, Rob Swayatik, returned Alice's call. In talking to Swayatik, Carol learned she wasn't the only one who had seen strange lights in the sky and then experienced what he referred to as abduction, along with an episode of missing time. Carol had never heard the phrase missing time or the word abduction linked with a sense of displacement. On the phone, he expressed interest in examining the wrapping paper and her earrings. After the call, Carol picked up the wrapping paper to give to Alice so she could pass it along to Swiatic. But as she entered the kitchen, she suddenly felt a strange sensation, half physical, half emotional, a lightheadedness, coupled with the premonition that she was about to remember something. She was walking past the refrigerator with the wrapping paper still in her hand when suddenly she wasn't in the kitchen anymore. In her mind, Carol wasn't in the kitchen. She wasn't anywhere on the farm. She was seated in a strange, enclosed space, completely naked. She was sitting, crouched forward, her arms lying across her thighs, palms up. Something was pressed against the small of her back, holding her forward. She felt paralyzed. She couldn't turn her head. She could only move her eyes from side to side. She tried to see where she was, but didn't understand what was going on. She became aware of how cold she was, saying it was the kind of cold that invaded her bones. Oof. Suddenly, Carol sensed she wasn't alone. Someone else was there, maybe even more than one person. That's so terrifying. Oh my god. But she couldn't see them. When she tried to look up ahead of her, she saw only a dense gray mist, except she knew it wasn't a mist because it didn't move. There was no breeze, no air to stir it. It just hung there like a wall of cobwebs, and Carol felt trapped. She felt paralyzed and out of control. Then she detected movement off to the right out of the corner of her eye, and she said until that moment she had never realized how scared she could actually be. Straining to look to her right as far as she could, she saw hands holding the Christmas package. She saw those hands and her throat tightened and she started to lose it because they weren't human hands. Carol said they looked like a huge tree frog's hands except the fingers were a dull chocolate charcoal brown and they didn't have any joints in them. Absolutely terrified, she started to cry because she knew what she was seeing was real. That these were real hands.
0: Oh my god.
1: The thing whatever it was was holding the box out in front of itself as if to study it. It didn't tilt it or shake it from side to side. Carol could not see the creature's body or its head or its face. All she could see were its two three-fingered hands poking through the mist holding the Christmas package and she stopped breathing. The more Carol looked at the creature's hands the more frightened she became. She knew she was beginning to panic but she couldn't control it. Her eyes seemed fixed on the thing's tree frog-like fingers, and she was terrified. She was hyperventilating, and she wanted to scream. She says she tried to scream. She was so frightened, she began to tremble. She could feel her whole body shaking. And then, out of the mist, there came another three-fingered hand, and two of its flattened fingertips touched her eyelids <gasps> and pressed them closed. Oh my god. I know, which sounds terrifying, but she says, immediately, Carol felt just fine. I mean, Good.
0: Yeah, that sounds <laughs> she's, like,
1: Don't. <laughs> she's like you're panicking like just close your eyes. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. She described feeling exactly like she had in the 60s when she had smoked a little Acapulco gold and would reach that stage in a high where everything in the world felt wonderful but not yet funny. That point right before the giggles. Carol remembers thinking, why am I frightened? This isn't so bad. I feel fine. This is good. Then she felt someone shaking her and calling her name. Alice says she found Carol collapsed on the floor at the edge of the kitchen. Carol said, quote, I didn't know what it was. All I knew was that something had happened or that I had had this memory of something happening, only it wasn't a memory. It felt like it was happening for the first time, end quote. She wondered if the flashback was a memory of what had happened during her missing time on January 2nd. The following weekend on Sunday morning, January 12th, Carol woke up to find blood on her sheets. She then noticed her right hand was bleeding, and when she washed it, she found what resembled a burn between the base of her little finger and the wrist of her right hand, and had no memory whatsoever of how she might have obtained the injury. For the next two weeks, the wound continued to throb and sting. When she removed the bandage and saw a black line forming a perfect triangle around the borders of the injury, and just outside the black line, a thinner white line, Carol was worried it might indicate an infection, so she decided to have someone take a look at it. One of the horse farm's boarding clients a registered nurse at the local hospital looked at carol's wrist telling her it looked like a chemical burn of some kind the nurse said the strange thing was that the wound had a laser sharp edge like a laser cut laser cuts make a perfectly smooth outline that leave a black edge at the nurse's insistence carol showed her wrist to a doctor who said the wound could only have been caused by some very caustic material being applied to the end of a triangular object which was then pressed against carol's hand long enough to burn through three layers of skin. Holy shit. So she basically got branded. Yeah. He told Carol he could not understand how she could not know when or how it happened. He told her it would have been incredibly painful that even if she was drugged, she could not have slept through it. Yeah. Your three fucking layers of skin. Yes. Carol told him that it had happened while she was sleeping and she had slept through it. In the middle of the night, on February 12th, she woke up when she felt something pull on her leg. The next morning, she discovered a huge bruise on her right thigh and the prints of Three Fingers Stop. on her leg. She also had three fresh puncture wounds forming a triangle on her right thumb. She still had no idea what could have caused them. I mean, I do. Yes. Fucking aliens. That she got abducted. For real. <laughs> For real, real. On March 8th, around 7.20pm, Carol was again driving home in Alice's red Toyota when suddenly the Toyota's dashboard warning lights flashed on, then off. The car's engine died and the power steering and headlights went out. Carol pulled over to the side of the road and pulled the emergency brake, putting the gears in neutral and turning the key. There was no ignition and no starter grind, but the headlights came back on. To conserve the battery, she turned off the headlights and put on the hazards. At first she thought somebody would come by to help her, but she noticed there was no other traffic on the road. Carol got out to look under the hood, but since she couldn't see well and didn't have a flashlight, she left the hood up and went back to wait in the car. The only living thing she saw around was a wild turkey. It came out of the bush, walked to the middle of the road, and stood looking at her for a moment. Then it walked to the other side of the road and stayed there. About five minutes later, a white car came over the top of the hill from the opposite direction. The car slowed as it passed, then continued on. She could not see a driver through the windshield, and the turkey hadn't moved. A few minutes later, the white car came up behind her, slowed down as it passed, then accelerated back up and over the hill. When the white car came back over the hill a third time and slowed as it passed her, Carol started getting nervous. She watched the car in her rearview mirror as it descended into the little town, pulled in by the country store, turned around, came back up the hill, and stopped on the shoulder behind her with its high beams on. They were so bright, Carol had to tip the mirror down so she wouldn't be blinded. She then locked the doors just to be safe. As she looked in the side view mirror, she saw the silhouette of somebody getting out of the car. Carol described him as tall, at least six feet, and said he was wearing a Stetson hat that must have been at least four feet across. She remembers thinking, Whoa! That hat is huge. Which, yes, all I could think of was the fucking scene in Signs where the officer's hat just keeps getting progressively bigger and bigger.
0: Um, I don't remember that in Signs. Okay. That's not in
1: Signs. That's in Scary Movie 3, which is obviously a parody Got of it. Signs. I did not Damn it. it. Right. <laughs> it's fine. Um, you know what? Okay. I didn't enjoy the first
0: one. It was, it's not my favorite.
1: I enjoyed the second one and the third one.
0: See, I, th- I think the issue with... I remember reading an article saying that uh, a great parody is funny without knowing the source material.
1: Oh yeah, no. Scary movie's not that. No. no you have to you very have to much know.
0: know all of it. It's not funny oh, on its own. Yes. Whereas things like Airplane, which is brilliant. Oh my god. It's one of my awesome. favorite movies. Absolutely funny on its own. It's very true. And then when you know the references, it's just the added it's even funnier. Better. Yeah. Yes. It's very true.
1: The person came up to the driver's side and asked if she was having car trouble. She told him the car died and she didn't know what was wrong with it. He had a flashlight with him and went around to look at the engine. After a minute, he asked her to start the car. She tried, but nothing happened. The man in the huge hat came around the passenger side and told her he didn't know what was wrong with it. He then pointed out a light in the distance. He told her to go up to that house and make a phone call, that they would let her use the phone. She said okay and thanked him for stopping to help. She stayed in the car until he drove off, then got out of the car to make her way to the house he had pointed out to her. Usually, she can see very well in the dark, but that night she could barely distinguish the side of the road from the trees. <sighs> She was tripping and slipping on the loose gravel and stumbling in potholes as she walked up the seemingly endless driveway toward the light. In the darkness, she didn't see the car parked at the top of the drive and hit her leg on its bumper. Feeling her way around the car, she made it to a narrow flight of steps leading to the house. She knocked and was startled when the door was immediately opened by an elderly woman. Carol apologized and explained that her car had broken down and asked to use her phone. She called Alice who told her she'd be there soon to pick her up. Carol thanked the woman for letting her use the phone, said goodbye and headed back outside. She realized immediately that she could see everything clearly now. She assumed her eyes had merely adjusted to the dark, but then she noticed it took her just seconds to walk the length of the driveway back to the car. She could see the gravel, the potholes, the bushes on the other side of the ditch, and between the trees. From the bottom of the earthen ramp to the end of the drive could not have been more than 50 feet, and yet when she was walking up to the house, the driveway had seemed a mile at least. Carol waited in the car for Alice to arrive. 20 minutes later, Alice came over the hill, passed Carol in the opposite direction, and continued down to the country store at the bottom of the hill to turn around. At the warehouse next to the country store, Alice noticed a white car parked with someone standing beside it. And as she turned and paused before heading back out into the road, the person got into his car and drove up behind her. She stopped, watching in her rearview mirror, waiting for him to pull around to see which way he was going to turn, right or left, but then suddenly he was no longer there. The car wasn't behind her anymore, and Alice had no idea how he could have simply disappeared. Fuck. (laughs) Fucking weird, man. After Alice picked her up, Carol noticed the time was 9.30 and realized she was again missing time. Retracing her trip, Carol figured it was around 7.30 when she got off the interstate, and 10 minutes later the car died. Carol said, I couldn't have sat in that car more than 15 minutes, which would have made it only 8 o'clock when the man in the big hat stopped by. I wouldn't have sat there for an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not that stupid. I'd have gone out and found a phone even if I had to walk back down the hill to the country store. Carol paused for a moment, then asked, why didn't I do that? There must have been a public phone. Alice said, quote, because the man told you to make the call from the house. Carol insisted, but why didn't I go to that store and call? And how come, according to you, it was five past nine when I called? The next day, Carol led a tow truck to where she left Alice's Toyota. She gave the mechanic a key, and when he opened the door and slid behind the steering wheel, he said, did you have a fire in here? It took a week and a half to fix the Toyota, and Alice said its whole electrical system was fried. Holy shit. Which, I don't know how likely that is to happen
0: in a car. I'm not a mechanic, but... I mean... Probably not that likely. Hashtag not a car owner, but... (laughs) My parents have owned cars. My whole family has in Miami. Never heard a this car to get around and I've never heard of this. I've never, never heard of never. this happening to anyone that yeah. I know who owns a car.
1: It was then that Carol attempted to discover on her own what had happened. She had in the past done self-hypnosis for relaxation purposes and decided to hypnotize herself in Alice's presence to make herself remember what had taken place that night. Everything was just as Carol remembered it. The Toyota died. She pulled to the side of the road, looked under the hood, got back in the car. The white car went by once, twice, a third time, and then turned around and pulled up behind her with its high beams on. Carol looked into the side view mirror. Everything so far had been just as she recalled. But now when she looked at the man reflected in her mirror, he was naked. <gasps> Carol remembered thinking it was so funny and she couldn't be scared. She says, quote, he stopped by me and said, what's wrong? And I said, the car won't start. All of that was the same, except I'm trying not to laugh. The whole time I'm thinking, God, don't laugh. If this man's crazy, he could kill you if you laugh. But I couldn't control it. I'm covering my mouth with my hands so he won't see me, and he goes by and looks under the hood.
0: I couldn't imagine a more terrifying scenario. than being stranded in the fucking woods, and the only person to help you is a random naked man. man. This thing you can't laugh
1: at because he might might kill you? Yeah.
0: Laughing is the last... If I would be laughing hysterically, it would just be like that's the defense mechanism that would show up. Yes. Because I'd be like, I'm going to be raped and murdered right now. So like, like, that's what's happening. And the way that that energy is showing up instead of sobbing or screaming is laughing, laughing. laughing. Yes. Because sometimes the wires get a little crossed. Oh and yeah. Like, again, like people laughing at funerals and stuff. I could not imagine a more terrifying scenario. Terrifying. And then she's like, this is hilarious. Like this guy's like diggling is out.
1: She, <laughs> like, what? She thinks it's hilarious because in her mind it was like, Oh my God, what are the odds? I'm stranded and the only person that's coming to help me is this naked guy. Like, I have to deal with this. Like, what is happening? This is ridiculous. So like, that's the thing that really like set her off. is like, what are the odds that the person who comes to help me while I'm stranded on the side of the road is a naked man in a giant Stetson hat? I mean, yeah. Because that's not normal. Yeah. So she's covering her mouth with her hand. It goes by and looks under the hood. And this is back to her quote. So she says... I look at his body through the crack between the back of the raised hood and the top of the dashboard, and I don't see a belly button or anything. There are no physical features, but there aren't any clothes either. And he's white, like a real pale, shiny white. Mm. And then I heard the voice. I heard it say, start the car. (gasps) Only the voice came from inside my head. It sounded like somebody was standing right at the back of my skull, speaking into it. I snapped my head around to see if somebody was behind me, but there was nobody there. I knew there wouldn't be anybody there. It did not come from in front of the car. It couldn't have through the raised hood, all that glass and closed windows. It was almost an order like, don't question this, start the car now. I tried to start the car and of course it wouldn't start just the way I remembered it, nothing happened. He walked around the passenger side of the car and leaned over and looked in the window. And this was the first time I really saw him. He had this huge Stetson, which I thought was gigantic and it was gigantic, but so was his head. This what fellow, fuck? yes, this fellow had a head the size of three basketballs put together, inside a hat that fit him. It wasn't that his hat was big, it was his head that was big. All I could see was one side of his face illuminated by his car's high beams. His whole side was in deep shadow, and it looked like he had wraparound around sunglasses on, like aviator's glasses. And there were wrinkles, deep furrows or something, right at the bridge of his nose, and these lines or tucks down his cheekbone. But the weirdest thing was that he had this mustache hanging down. From this little grape of a nose, this thing with a sort of rounded knob at the end. end quote. Despite her self noses, Carol couldn't remember anything about the walk from her stalled car to the house until she had a flashback during one of the regular seminars held on the farm. She got about halfway through her presentation when suddenly she flashed back to the gravel driveway leading up to the half log cabin house. There was somebody or something a little behind her to her left, walking like a machine with short little mechanical steps. Carol had the sensation that he, or it, was there to escort her, to make certain she went where she was supposed to. She couldn't understand how its footsteps could be so regular while hers were so stumbling and erratic. She looked up towards the end of the driveway, which now she realized wasn't that far. She saw a car parked at the top and a person standing by the car's left bumper, except he didn't really look like a person. He didn't because he was glowing. It was as though he was backlit, only Carol knew there wasn't a light behind him. She could distinguish the car clearly enough to see that it was a maroon Chrysler K car with blue and gray striped cloth seat covers, but she could not make out the features of the person next to it or any distinct outlines. She could tell he was short, no more than three and a half or four feet tall. She was looking straight at him and walking towards him as if she really wanted to go to him, even though she didn't. And as she approached this small, glowing being, he raised his right hand toward her. She could not see if there was anything in it, but he pointed at her and she remembered nothing else. Brian asked her, what do you think actually happened? Carol says, quote, this is the reverse of what I would ever have thought I'd say or think, but my logical side, my rational side tells me something happened to me on that road. And whoever or whatever it was thought a really good disguise to relax a horse person by would be to show up as a cowboy. My logical, rational side tells me that it was all set up for me to go to that particular driveway at that particular time, and I was either escorted into a flying saucer or I was abducted. She pauses for a moment, then laughs. Quote, that's what my logical side tells me happened. My emotional side says, nah, you're crazy. You imagined the whole thing. End quote. I will leave you with this. As Boston University astronomer Michael Papagenius insisted... The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence.
0: Damn. Bam.
1: So I might do a second part to this. Okay. Because Alice has some crazy shit that happens to her too, but her story isn't quite as linear with like the it's one of those like she has things, but she does not remember things as clearly, and does not have these like flashbacks as clearly as Carol did. Right. So I used Carol's first, but I might actually touch on Alice at a later date because she she went through some fucking shit too, and like maybe some breeding stuff. We're not sure. Shit. Like crazy.
0: That was amazing.
1: Thank you. Very enjoyable book by the way. I've not finished it. I really just like started it and then. What's the book did again? The Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, Alien Abduction, UFOs, and the Conference at MIT. And that is by CDB Bryan. Very cool. Thank you. Shit. Crazy, right? Yeah, I've not heard any of this. Yeah, I was trying to find one that wasn't, you know... It's hard because it's the ones that are the most reputable are obviously the ones that are the most well-known and are the ones that have been covered the most. Yeah. So to find one that I felt was reputable enough to reference but that wasn't popular was a challenge, so.
0: You know, I get it though, because in the story that I'm going to say shortly, I did reference a podcast for it, that was one of my sources, and I got really concerned, because I was like, oh, you know, all the stuff they're saying are the facts that I have, because that's just the Fruits facts of the case. Yes. So, the the thing is, it's our take on it, and it's our reactions to it, that's... Yes. That's what the listeners are here yeah. for, <laughs> I guess. Yes. Um, and also, like, I don't know that story.
1: No, I didn't either, honestly. You yeah, know,
0: so it's a, like, especially since alien stuff isn't something that I particularly seek out. Yes. So it's interesting to me. I'm glad you enjoyed it.
1: I thought it was fascinating, the, the, the alien wearing the Stetson hat, because that would calm you. Like if we, the idea of yeah. like them being like, let's just put on a cowboy hat, like I'll go talk to her. It's fine. Like that's right. hysterical to me.
0: Well, that's that in another episode where you did the UFO thing with the Men in Black. Yeah, that was the thing that I've in last podcast and a couple of the things that I've seen that they referenced, that it, it's they're trying to be people like they're but they're like just not getting. They're just not. It's, it's so close. It's just off. It's like just so. Them off. being like horses, Stetson. Nailed it. She's not going to get... She's not going to yes, put together it that not. you're not a person.
1: <laughs> that you're naked and you don't have a belly button. Like, no. Just put on the hat and some sunglasses. Get your aviators.
0: Like, you're the good. The fact that your head is three, three. fucking basketballs big... She's you're not going to notice that. You have a Stetson on. You're fine. fine. You're fine. You're good. Like, you got this. You're, she's going to think you're John Wayne. <laughs> Literally. Like, and you're saving her. You're three foot five, but it's fine. You're saving you this, this little, this little lady in distress. Oh my God. It's that thing of that. it comes up of like, it's just off. Like, yes. like there's the effort, but it's not right. Not there. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for her that she found that really fun. Yes. This is like yeah. my nightmare. I mean, yes. Again, maybe if I saw a dude with, like, a huge Stetson hat on and, like, three basketball heads, maybe I'd be like, bro, what is this?
1: (laughs) So, obviously, he meets her and talks to her during the conference, and he asks, you know, her thoughts on the conference and how they made her feel, and they were both very comforted by going to the conference and talking to other people and not feeling like they had this huge overwhelming burden on them that they couldn't share with anybody because people Immediately dismiss you as crazy, and you can't yeah. have a rational discussion about something that is actually affecting your life without people just dismissing you immediately. Yeah, weird shit happens to them. I didn't like include everything, but apparently it's common among people who've seen UFOs that unmarked black helicopters will then be seen in the area afterwards. And they on their farm had unmarked black helicopters flying over all of
0: their buildings yeah. and just like 500 feet above their house, like very very close. Yeah, I, I listened to a, an interview recently with someone that it was like if you have any sort of like actual proof of UFOs, replicate it, hide it, don't share it with people because when you do, it has this like this funny way of going missing. Yeah, which does not surprise me in any way, shape, or yeah. form. But I mean, you know, they're doing the disclosures. I heard that Marco Rubio like what? Yeah, Marco Rubio like. signed this like petition to the government that they release all their UFO files within like 180 days or something Um, like that okay I'm on board I can support that which the last thing I ever Ever would have thought of Marco Rubio was that he was like about the alien situation
1: right I thought you were going to tell me he got abducted I was like oh shit girl I mean maybe that's why Maybe
0: that's what happened no but he like is like heading he's not heading it I don't think but he's like, backing it. He's definitely backing the, the disclosure of the government and wanting Shit. to know what it is that... I mean, I'm right backing now. that, too. I want to know. Obviously, yeah. Fuck. Crazy. Christ. I think in the next couple years, some crazy. I mean, already crazy shit's coming out. Yeah. I want to know. I know.
1: I'm hoping in my lifetime they will declassify that enough that we will know something.
0: Yeah. Who the fuck knows, man?
1: Who the fuck knows? Either that or, again, as John Mack points out, if it's not an alien abduction... Something is happening to these people, and you should fucking want to know what it thing? is. Yes. Yeah. Like this mass psychosis. Like, what is going on? Are the, all of these people just having random mental breakdowns? Like, that's not possible.
0: Or if it is, like, what's causing it? Yes. Something. Is there something in the water? What's going on? Hey, man. Fucking the government. They they fucking LSD to a, a town's water su- supply to see how the fuck the town would handle it. I'm guessing. Not well. No. <laughs>
1: Especially if you didn't
0: tell them that no. that's what
1: the fuck was going on. No. I'd be like, where is this? that I drink this water?
0: This is like when they were doing super unethical, super illegal oh, shit. Oh,
1: yeah. of course.
0: Because they they're not now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, see, that's when I really was meant to be a scientist, was back in the times when there weren't, like, ethics and we could have done this crazy shit. Do you remember the fucking study where they were trying to teach the dolphins to talk, basically? Mm -hmm. And there was the. Oh, when they were like fucking the dolphins? She. I'm sorry, she was was jerking jerking off. She wasn't. I'm sorry. sorry. She
0: was not. I went out of control. I said something untoward (laughs) that a woman would fuck a dolphin and not just give him a handy. I'm sorry. He learned better afterwards, Monique. She just tried to help him learn. smirch the good name of the scientists and her. Like, fucking a dolphin is one too far A handy's always on the table Oh my god So when that
1: experiment was winding down And they realized the dolphins, they weren't Couldn't get them to talk, obviously Because they just
0: wanted to get jerked off Like a guy (laughs) Like a regular dude Like I don't really want to do these
1: vocab words, but like if you can touch my dick, that'd be great. That'd be really great. Yeah. Apparently they just gave all the dolphins LSD at the end of the experiment because they're just like, ah, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Okay. They're not learning when we're drinking them off, so like let's jerk them off on drugs. And they're, see what they're
0: like, learning. They're like, could you jerk me off while I'm on LSD? <laughs> Please. Thank you.
1: Oh, uh, uh, the yeah, things that are, are done. Wild. Yeah.
0: <laughs> In the name of science. Was it Benjamin Franklin? No. It? Is it? Thomas Edison or Benjamin Franklin who electrocuted the, the elephant? Bench- Edison, Edison. Edison. That Edison. fucking motherfucker. Yeah. I uh, feel like it was amazing.
1: <laughs> like, what the Yeah, fuck? there's the Bob's Burgers episode about it. Topsy? I haven't seen it yet. Ah, well, there's Bob's Burgers episode about I'm on,
0: it. I'm on my way. I'm
1: on, I know. She went well, away. Of those things. Like, you telling me you started watching Bob's Burgers doesn't automatically mean you've seen every episode. But my brain doesn't accept that information. It's like, no, she obviously knows everything yes. you're talking about. Oh my gosh. Do you want to tell me a crazy true crime story?
0: I do. I have a really fucking crazy one. You always Um, do. And I'm super excited about it. So for the last couple of months, I've been working on a true crime story. And then I always get distracted by another story and I do that story. Because there's so many stories. There's so many stories. We're never going to go out of business. It's terrible. (laughs) Stop murdering people. (laughs) Um, You heard her. That is my decree. (laughs) So I was going to do that story, and then while I was looking at an article for the story, I saw this other link. Oh, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. So at 8 o'clock last night, I changed my story. <laughs> like we dig myself deeper into this rabbit hole. Okay, we're good. And it's fucking crazy. Yes. So prepare yourself. Got You've been drink. warned. Get a drink. Get whatever gets you through, because this is fucking crazy. And it's one of those things that happened very recently, and I don't know how I don't know about it. Because it's fucking nuts. Those are always the most upsetting ones, too. You're like, this was like a year ago. What the fuck? Yeah. So I am going to be telling you the story of Stephen Pladle. My sources are buggedspace.com, abc11.com, oxygen.com. Hey, girl. The Red Handed Podcast, expressdigest.com, abcnews.com, adoption.com, and findagrave.com. Stephen Plato was born on April 6, 1975 in Levittown, New York. Classmates described him as a relatively quiet kid who didn't really have friends, who stayed to himself, but definitely was a bit off. Oof. Yep, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. This, of course, made him an easy target for bullies. Because he wasn't really great at meeting people in real life, in 1995, 20-year-old Platol turned to the internet where he met 15-year-old Alyssa Gracia. Which, in 1995, the internet was a thing. I mean, uh, I, yeah. I remember it being a thing in, like, 7th grade. So, like, 97 for me. I don't remember. And I'm younger than you were, so i right, do right, right. younger than right. You at that time. 95, he's already doing the internet dating thing. So, he met 15-year-old Alyssa Gracia. Even though Alyssa lived in San Antonio, Texas, in Plato in New York, their internet romance blossomed. They exchanged messages and love letters, and Plato visited the underage girl in Texas to begin a romantic relationship with her, despite the disapproval of Alyssa's parents. Because, yeah, fucking obviously. Yeah,
1: they were like, "Uh, you're a creepy dude, get the fuck away from her. You're 20 years
0: old, your daughter's 15. Yeah. You met on the internet, which I know that internet dating is a thing now, but like, guys don't. Like, seriously, (laughs) people are creepy enough in person, like, you don't know who the fuck you're getting on the internet. Yeah. Did you not see Catfish, like, girl, or any of the fucking
1: subsequent episodes after the fucking documentary? Yeah. Oh, trust anybody. Also, amazing show. Great. That is another <laughs> trash reality TV show that Johnny and I have been watching together.
0: I, I can see you think about Catfish. So, a year into their courtship, Alyssa got pregnant, and on January 29th, 1998, Alyssa gave birth to a baby girl they named Denise when she was just 17 years old. Because the couple was young and poor, they decided to put Denise up for adoption when she was just eight months old. Alyssa said, quote, "It was so hard to give her up, but I wanted her to live and be happy end quote. The thing is, those weren't the only reasons, Alyssa agreed to give up her baby. Oh, no. According to Alyssa, Plato was abusive towards their infant daughter. He would pinch Denise's body <gasps> until he left her black and blue and he would wa- yes. Why? What the fuck? He's a dick. That's fucking sadistic. Yeah. Wait. So he would also put her in a cooler, what? like a fucking igloo cooler to drown out her cries. And he would hold back Alyssa from saving Denise basically right up until the moment that she was like going to suffocate. What? Like straight the up fuck? just fucking abuse. That's abhorrent. And like on another level, like who the yeah, fuck does that? Oh, that's fucking crazy crazy. So Obviously, Alyssa agreed to the adoption to protect her daughter. And despite all of this, Taylor's as old as time, Alyssa stayed with Playdol, oh. And in 2006, ended up marrying him. What? So this is an eight-year difference from when Denise is born to when she fucking marries this dude. She's dude, sticking it out. Yeah. Denise was quickly adopted by Anthony and Kelly Fusco, where she was given a new name, Katie. Naturally, she moved in with her new parents to their home in Dutchess County, New York, about 80 miles north of NYC. And by all accounts, Katie lived a happy, normal life. She was an aspiring artist who showed a lot of talent and promise in high school. She was known to draw comic strips and was praised for creating a portfolio her senior year depicting the struggles faced by women throughout American history. The budding future artist was quickly approaching graduation and had plans to attend community college before beginning a career in digital media. Almost 10 years after giving birth to Katie, Alyssa gave birth to another baby girl, and just two short years after that, Alyssa and Plato welcomed their third daughter to the world. Alyssa thought that her husband was getting better because he didn't treat any of the other two daughters the way that he had treated Katie, but he was still violent, angry, temperamental, and unpredictable. As is often the case with people who have been adopted, Katie grew up curious about her biological parents. And in January 2016, after she turned 18, she went looking for them. And it wasn't long before Katie found Alyssa on social media. She messaged Alyssa, quote, Don't know if you're okay with this or not, but I thought I'd give it a shot. Hi. End quote. At first, Alyssa thought that it was just spam, but Katie's next message contained links to genealogy websites, and Alyssa realized that her baby girl that she had given up for adoption was back in their lives. After years of guilt, loss, and regret, Alyssa was overjoyed to reconnect with the daughter that she gave up almost two decades earlier. After connecting on social media, Katie and her birth parents decided to meet the summer of 2016 at the Playdoll's home in Henrico County, Virginia, 400 miles away from New York. And it was a dream come true for Katie. She was so happy to finally be able to meet her biological parents, as well as her two sisters, who were 11 and 8 at the time. Katie had plans to enroll in the local community college following graduation. But after meeting the play she shocked her adopted parents when she told them that she wasn't going to community college, but that she was going to move in with her biological parents and her sisters in Henrico County, Virginia.
1: No stay in school
0: stay in school don't know and like i understand they're your biological family but you don't know who the fuck they are yes these are fucking strangers yes you've known them for like two months at this point and like like known them like via like fucking facebook messenger you don't know who they are as a person exactly yeah so her adopted parents the fuscos were shocked and upset but they felt their only course of action was to be supportive to prevent further pushing their daughter away, which is the most American white people shit I've <laughs> ever heard in my life. Are you fucking kidding me? I was like, yeah, that's only
1: fun, of course. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? No, it's it's because as soon as you disapprove, then it's like, okay, fuck you. I'm like, I'm gonna do it anyway It's the whole like When you're, you're dating a guy That they don't like If they tell you They don't like him Then you're like Well fuck you
0: I'm gonna date him I'm gonna do whatever I want You don't control me Literally every decision I've ever made in my life Has been met with ire and disdain From my parents <laughs> I'm not understanding Any of this Is like unconditional Love and support You're like No This is crazy I don't know. That's not Part of the Cuban Like <laughs> situation At all It's not. I'm confused by what's happening here. This is not part of my life experience. Very normal, from my experience. I gathered that. (laughs) Diana seems like a delight. She's
1: wonderful. She's so lovely.
0: (laughs) This is wild to me, (laughs) though. By the time Katie moved in with the Platels in August 2016, things weren't going great with Stephen and Alyssa. The couple had already decided to separate and were sleeping in separate bedrooms months before Katie arrived. Alyssa claimed to have suffered emotional and verbal abuse at the hands of her husband for years. Platel was extremely unstable and abusive. Alyssa said, quote, Steve had a bad temper. He would destroy things in the home when he was upset, punching holes in the walls, but there was never anything that was on record, Ugh. end quote, which... Fuck, I get it, and I understand it's embarrassing. And you don't want, like... I don't want my husband to you know, the cops take him away. Take him the fuck away. You, yeah. need, you need a fucking paper trail. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect your kids. Girl. Yes. You have to. I don't want it to sound like I'm victim blaming. No. God, no. Like, fuck no. Like, she didn't deserve any of this. Steven Platel's just a piece of shit. As we're going to get into.
1: <laughs> as if the pinching the baby for but no did reason it, didn't it 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 take you, you off? off. Yeah.
0: James Celia Coke.
1: <laughs> I love when we do it. We do it quite often,
0: and when we go and use it, mm, so I get so happy. I don't want it to come across as victim blaming, but just sometimes you find yourself in these awful situations. I definitely dated a guy who would punch the wall next to me and not punch me. And in the early 2000s, it was like, well, he's not hitting me. me. He's hitting the wall next to me. He's not abusing me. That's fucking abuse. Yeah. It's like, were you terrified when he punched the wall next to you? Yeah. Yeah, because it was a matter of time before he was going to fucking punch me. Yeah. And just information is, and knowledge is power. So if something is fucked up and it's happening to you, get a paper trail, let people know. Yeah. Save your fucking life because the worst thing that happens is you're overreacting and nothing is happening. Which I will take that over the being actual, fucking murdered. Yes, yeah, being dead. Yeah. He was also a gun nut.
1: Oh Because
0: my God. of I'm... fucking course he was. Yay. He would hoard guns and kept huh? at least four guns in their home, including a couple of handguns yeah. and an AR-15 style rifle. Which, why the fuck does anyone need that? Is you he know? a hunter? Where? No, we're I just yeah. think it's it's one of those things like make feel like guns, a man. Yeah. No, no, that's the only reason you would have that So like. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Alyssa said she only stayed with him because he'd threatened that if she ever left him. He would blow his brains out and figure out a way to record it and make sure that the video got back to her, which, you know what? Sure. Fucking have at it. That's fuck horrifying, you. but yeah. Fuck you. Also. Okay.
1: Fine. Have at it. I don't want to watch the video, but like, okay. I don't have to watch any video. Yeah. Fucking send it to What me. are you going to send it to my email and like, Hey, look at this funny cat video. And then I'm going to accidentally watch you
0: get your head blown off by yourself. No. <laughs> send it to my Dropbox. Spam. <laughs> <Like, laughs> no. Fuck you. Like, fuck you. And you know, and here's the thing is that people like claiming, like, I'm going to kill myself if you leave me. That's the most manipulative shit. Yes. Ever. The Michelle
1: Carter thing. Yes.
0: And not to, I mean, she took it a bit. She did. And I'm not trying to excuse her actions,
1: but I also like, if my boyfriend was telling me every single night before I went to bed that he was going to kill himself, like tonight was a night and then he wouldn't respond to my text messages and then kept playing this fucking mind
0: fuck of a game with me. Like, I don't. For those of you who don't know the Michelle Carter There's a a two-part documentary on HBO called I Love You, Now Die. Yes! Um, Check it out. It's very interesting. Um, because the media portrayed it as a woman who basically coerced her boyfriend into killing himself via text message. But the documentary, I believe it's two episodes, it is it's yes. one perspective and the other yeah, it's perspective, yeah, like her perspective and then or like the prosecution and then the events basically, right. yeah. So check that out. But yeah, the the if you leave, I kill myself uh, is the most manipulative shit ever, and it's abusive as fuck. Yeah. Again, you know, you don't have to be hit to be in an abusive relationship. Yes.
1: And if you walk away from that relationship and that person does happen to go that far and take their life,
0: that's not your fault. That is not your fault at all. Because we're all people of our own free will and volition, and people do whatever the fuck they want to do. Amen. Yes. All that being said, the Playdals were absolutely thrilled to have their eldest daughter back in their lives. As would be expected, Katie asked Alyssa why they put her up for adoption and when Alyssa told her that it was because Stephen would be physically abusive to Katie when she was little, Alyssa later recalled that Katie didn't seem particularly bothered by this disturbing news. If anything, Katie and Stephen started growing closer, which wasn't difficult seeing as how she was living with them, and with Alyssa working full-time as a supervisor for T-Mobile, Katie was spending most of her time with her father, who was unemployed and had been for eight fucking years because clearly he's fucking nailing it at life get the fuck out of here dude no
1: eight years no yeah like where's the fucking rent money i'm not fucking doing this is so infuriating to me i don't know why this is more infuriating than everything else but like girl we're
0: not even in it we're not even in it it's gonna get wild (laughs) okay so Alyssa had noticed that steven's behavior completely changed when he met katie he started wearing skinny jeans. Uh, form-fitting shirts. He shaved his beard. He let his hair grow out long to look good and impress his daughter. Ugh, I'm so physically uncomfortable
1: right now. I don't I Girl, don't I know the Paloma shit, but like how about it? Gonna, I know you're... I'm going to pound that motherfucker in 10 seconds. Ah, yep. like, uh, I feel like this is going away and I don't want it to.
0: Yep. Okay. 6 weeks after Katie moved in. Stephen began sleeping on the floor in her room. No. What is this? abduction in plain sight? No. Get the right? fuck out of here. It started off as a one-off, but then quickly became the norm. When Alyssa confronted him about it, because fucking obviously, he told her that it was none of her business. It most certainly is. You're in my motherfucking house. That I pay for because you don't have a fucking job. And that's my
1: fucking daughter. That you're sleeping in her room on the floor instead of in a bed like a normal
0: person. No. No. Sketch. Catch a sketch for sure. In November 2016, Alyssa moved out of the house with her two underage children. However, because the two had shared custody of the kids, the girls would stay at their father's house every other weekend. One weekend in May 2017, Stephen called up Alyssa and told her that their 11-year-old was misbehaving. And as a punishment, he took away her diary and gave it to Alyssa, which, Uh... right? It's a weirdest
1: fuck punishment. It's a weirdest fuck punch. That's some psychological fucking shit, too.
0: However, I think that there was a different motivation for this, and we'll Ooh, get into it in a bit. Okay, I'm excited. Investigator Monique, <laughs> tell us how it is. Basically, like any fucking mother would do, Alyssa decided to read the diary. Responsible, actually. Right, and usually I'd be like, "That's a dick move," but I get it. It's a case. little bit of a yeah. dick move, you know. But she's Alyssa's motivation was saying that. She wanted to see how her her daughter was handling the separation, and if maybe, you know, to get any insight into why she's misbehaving, and if the the separation is the reason why she's misbehaving. However, Alyssa was not prepared for what she was about to read. In the diary, she found out that Stephen and Katie had been engaging in an incestuous sexual relationship. Wait, girl. (laughs) Like, my whole body's collapsing on itself right now. That Wait. Katie is pregnant. No! And that Stephen has told his two youngest daughters to stop referring to Katie as their sister <gasps> and instead refer to her as their stepmother. Which what the fuck kind no. of Jerry Springer shit is this? It's fucking crazy. No. No, yes. no, no, no. How did I not know about the story? This is insanity. The diary read, quote, Katie is pregnant. Dad says they feel like couples. Did they get a little too drunk that night? My dad is a slut. He's Satan. He's fucking Satan. He'll go to hell, but he won't be the one getting tortured. He'll be the one torturing people. If he's Satan and Katie is human, then the baby will be half demon. End quote. Which can you
1: fucking imagine? I I fucking can't. And like, that's the way you find out about it. And it's not... And it's like, now you know your younger children are aware of it. Yes. It's not that they're oblivious and you were oblivious and this was going on behind your back. Like, the kids everyone, know.
0: Everyone knows. Ugh, except you. So, Alyssa believes that Stephen's whole bullshit punishment of taking away the daughter's diary and giving it to Alyssa was because he knew what was written in it, mm-hmm. he knew that she was going to read it, and that she was going to find out, and that he was too much of a fucking coward to That's tell her himself what was happening, and I... Ten thousand percent agree. Yes. Well, I mean, how do you even start that conversation? I'm just, like, hey, you remember the daughter we gave it for adoption who years like ago? has who been like living with us yeah. for two months? Yeah. So I'm totally fucking her, and like, she's having my baby. Yeah. She's having my my son. Her the son grandson. Son. Oh yes. I was gonna say
1: she's having a brother. She's brother. having a brother. She's son. having a son brother. Son brother. That's nice. That's so you know. Nice. Yeah. No. That makes for a fun family reunion later cool cool cool
0: um cool, cool cool and i just want to restate about stephen Platel. what a coward in a sack of shit yes it's gross too oh, yes. yeah so Elisa freaked freak the fuck out because fucking obviously
1: but okay but katie katie the dog is down like she likes her dad she wants so we're gonna get it to her. okay
0: sorry i no 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 how could you not ask this of course yes oh i have a million questions yeah girl <laughs> Yeah, so Alyssa freaks the fuck out, and she calls Stephen to confront him. When she asks him about Katie's pregnancy, this motherfucker said, quote, I thought you knew. Oh, fuck off. Exactly. Go fuck yourself. I thought you knew we're in love, end quote. Go fuck yourself. Go
1: fuck yourself.
0: This is the baby you pinched so much I literally had to give it away to get it away from you. He told her that Katie's adoptive parents also knew. Uh, And while they weren't happy about it, they had learned to accept it and that Alyssa would have to do the same, which is the most white American people shit I have ever fucking heard of. Are you fucking kidding me? None of this would fly with my Cuban parents. Oh my fucking God. Did they actually accept it or did he just say that because... He sure... They sure fucking did. Oh my God. Guys, I am 36 fucking years old. And never once have I heard my parents tell me, I respect your decision. (laughs) Literally never fucking once about any fucking thing. And I'm not fucking my dad and having his kid, okay? I live in another state, 1,300 miles away, and my mother still wants to know my movements all of the time and is trying to fucking control me. Are you kidding me? And these parents are just like, I respect your decision. Get the fuck out of here. This is insane. This is insane." insane. In Florida, there's this thing called the Baker Act, where you can have someone institutionalized for 72 hours. Wait, is
1: that not a number you state?
0: No. I did not realize that's only a Florida thing. Shit. No, so you can have someone institutionalized against the rule for 72 hours. I would find whatever the fuck this thing is, and I'd be like, girl, you fucking lost your mind. Yeah. Big time. So, all the shit is wild, and basically a Jerry fucking Springer episode, but I'm going to have us take a quick detour to discuss genetic sexual attraction or GSA. The phenomenon was first identified by Barbara Gonyo in the 1980s when she wrote a book titled, I'm His Mother But He's Not My Son, which recounted her personal story of reuniting and having sexual feelings for a son whom she had placed in adoption when she was 16 years old. Gonyo fell in love with her son, although the feelings weren't mutual. These feelings of love are believed to be delayed bonding that would normally have taken place in infancy had they not been separated by adoption. When family members who are strangers finally meet as adults, the brain struggles to associate each other as family and instead they become captivated with one another. Suggested reasons for attraction may include that the two have similar characteristics. Similar genetic makeup can produce similarities in temperament, appearance, and other areas that are common in all birth families to a certain extent. And we tend to be more drawn to people who have similar characteristics to ourselves. Like you've probably definitely met people who their partner looks very similar Similar to them. them.
1: Yes, it's very true.
0: It has also been suggested that a subconscious memory of the smell of one's own family may be recognized, and if so, would cause an actual physical reaction. Psychologists believe that the taboo of incest isn't just a social construct, but an evolutionary imperative that has existed for tens of thousands of years. Evidence of innate repulsion towards incest coupled with general avoidance of incest in most cultures around the world, suggests that the taboo may be nature's way of helping us avoid the multitude of problems that come with inbreeding, which include rare genetic diseases and defects. The taboo gets imprinted early in life when family members grow up in close proximity by virtue of reverse sexual imprinting, or the Westermark effect, which desensitizes them to later sexual attraction. This revulsion towards familial sexual relations can even be found in the animal kingdom in studies of chimpanzees, our closest evolutionary relatives. While chimps are known to be promiscuous, even more so than humans, no tea, no shade. Bonobos, yeah. But this is better. what the science article says, yeah. get a girl, like live your dreams, chimps. Several studies have shown that chimpanzees will also avoid having sex with other chimps with whom they can sense that they are related. Interesting. To simplify this, The theory is, when people don't bond early in life, specifically between birth and the age of six, and then meet as adults, genetic sexual attraction can occur. Again, these are only theories as to why this occurs because it hasn't really been studied and GSA has been dismissed as a pseudoscience, but it hasn't been studied. Yeah, I was because how do you study something like that? And, like, you, and the thing, like, people are so ashamed. No one's going to be like, yeah, I totally fucked my dad. Yeah, I my dad love it. It's great. Casual, yeah. whatever. Like, no yeah. one, you know, people are, there's the shame and the stigma of it. And then I think even in the science community, there's, the, like, the ickiness of it. Yeah, like, if you're the scientist who makes that their thing to study, like, And and in a way, like, justifying why this is a thing that's happening. Yes. No one wants to put their name on that paper. Yeah. You don't want to, like, normalize incest. You don't want to... Exactly. Yeah. However, with the rise in IVF, egg and sperm donation, more and more kids are being born to non-biological parents. And because it's easier to find your biological family with things like 23andMe and social media... GSA is on the rise, with evidence from the post-adoption center and University College London suggesting that while it isn't always reciprocated, GSA occurs to some degree in 50% of reunion cases. Which, holy fuck, why the fuck are we not studying this? Wow, yeah.
1: That's disturbing. That's a disturbingly high percentage. Yes! people need to get on
0: this. And like, it just, we need to just find out. Yeah. All right, science. Come on. Yeah. And, and something that back in the day when you wanted to find your birth family, you would kind of have to go through a support group, but you, when you found them, you had a group there with you to help you through these feelings. Cause I'm sure it's confusing. And of course. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming. And, and there's lots of feelings that, you know, don't make sense. But now with 23 me, people are just going rogue Yeah, and they're just doing it on their own and they don't have that support to help them through this. Yes. And it's one of the things because you're given up
1: for adoption. So I feel like you have that innate worry or fear that you're unwanted or unloved. So that if you are reunited with your family and then they accept you back. Yeah. Like it fucking fulfills everything for yes. you. Like I have my family back. They lo- Like I am wanted now. Like I will do anything to keep this feeling and reverse all of the things that have been. Exactly. Yes, Your I've entire been, life.
0: Yes, While it's really easy to be completely grossed out and shocked by stories of incest because fucking believe me, like you've heard our yes. reactions this entire time. I'm so going to butcher this name and I'm so sorry. Suruthi Bala, who's one of the hosts of the Red Handed podcast I think she just put it best. She said, quote, "I don't really see how I can judge a situation that I'm biologically hardwired not to understand." End quote.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, like if the shoe was on the other foot, and I hadn't grown up with these people, I didn't know them as my family. And then I feel like com- I knew a completely different set of people
0: as my family. Yeah, because Katie doesn't want to fuck her her, her, her adoptive m- dad. Her doc- yeah, because that's who she grew up with. Yes. I mean, this is all also theories that we're positing. But, but yeah, trying to work through this. Like, I want to understand. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so back to our insane story. Just I wanted mean, to give you a little a little science background. So yes, we we're just like, no, well. no, gross, like, yes. incest. Which, yes, all of those things. But there may be a scientific reason as to why this is a thing that happens. And you hear it happen. I, I've definitely heard yes. of it happening prior to this yes. story. So there you go. We science today. I, I love when we science. So Alyssa called the fucking cops. <laughs> Good for you. Yes, yes, I fucking would too. Yes. And while police officers interviewed the Platel children, no arrests were made at that time. What? I, I think it was a thing that they were like still investigating it. Katie and Stephen felt that they needed a fresh start. So they moved 150 miles away to Nightdale, North Carolina. Two months after his divorce with Alyssa had been finalized and still in the midst of a police investigation... On July 20th, 2017, Plato married his biological daughter in a lakeside ceremony in Parkton, Maryland. Uh... This didn't raise any flags with the authorities because the two had lied on their wedding application, claiming that they were unrelated. Well, no shit. Yeah. Guests at the wedding ceremony included Stephen's parents, aka Katie's grandparents, and let me fucking tell you. In this picture, Steven's mother Grace is like smile ear to ear, what living her best fucking life as if she didn't just witness her son marrying her fucking granddaughter. Do you have this picture to show me? Yes, girl. Ah, uh,
1: this is so upsetting. Yeah,
0: smile ear to ear. Oh my god, she's loving it. She's living her best fucking life. She's like, oh my god, yeah. like a goth wedding. This is very yeah. I mean. It's- how else are you supposed to look when you're yeah, marrying, guess, your dad I mean, yeah. <laughs> marrying your dad carrying his baby? Marrying your dad. Also, guests at this wedding, in attendance at this wedding, are Katie's adoptive fucking parents, no. Tommy and Kelly fucking Fusco. And unlike Grace, they are not fucking happy in these wedding pictures.
1: Uh, no, they look like they're barely tolerating this. Yep, basically. I'm sure they
0: skipped the objection part of this marriage because like,
1: uh, I would be like, hello, yes, hi.
0: The ducks in the pond would be like, um, hello. whack,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
0: Let me fucking say some shit. So upsetting. But her adoptive parents believed that there was nothing they could do. Except support Katie, which, whatever, I get it. You guys are going for parents of the year. But at some fucking point, you should probably stop being so fucking supportive. Like, not to fucking mention, their last name is Fusco. That's an Italian last name. How the fuck are you Italians from New York and allowing this fucking shit to go down? Right? This is fucking wild to Get me. the fuck out of here. This yeah. is insane. I feel
1: like this would be the guy to fucking tell you how it is. He would be the one to, like, not hold anything back, to be like, this is fucking bullshit. You're fucking disgusting. Go fuck your
0: face. This is the guy who shows up to the wedding in a leather jacket, doesn't have to say anything, and it's a wrap. Like, it's done. Yes. Like, because none of this, and again, I don't want to victim blame. I don't really want to blame the parents because I guess, she, whatever, she's an adult at this point and can do whatever the fuck she wants, but... Don't show up to the fucking wedding. Yeah, no. Did you buy something from the registry? What the fuck? Like, this is insane. Did you go to Things Remembered and have something engraved, like a fucking picture frame? This is the, uh, this is, I'm like, this is crazy. It's crazy.
1: It seems like something could have been done before this. To be fair,
0: yes. 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 It seems like there were so many things that could have been done before this. Yes. Baker Act. You were correct. On July 20th, a very pregnant Katie posted pictures of her nuptials on her Instagram. She captioned them, quote, nothing fancy, just love. Hashtag just married. Hashtag simple wedding. Hashtag pregnancy. Katie was 19 fucking years old and Stephen was 40 fucking too. Even though incest is illegal throughout the United States, the degrees of that illegality vary from state to state. So because of this, I initially thought that the reason they moved to North Carolina was to avoid prosecution. But the thing is, the incest laws between Virginia and North Carolina are really dissimilar. In Virginia, incest between consenting adults is a class one misdemeanor and is punishable by a maximum of 12 months in prison and or a maximum fine of $2,500. In North Carolina, it would be deemed class F felony, punishable by serving between 10 and 41 months in prison, but no fine. So you could technically get less time and fine, or way more time and no fine. In Maryland, where they got married, incest is only illegal if there's vaginal intercourse. Which sure, so you can just do butt stuff. That seems you can do handies, blowies. That seems like
1: a real. I don't want to know why that rule was made. I don't want to know. Girl, there's a story
0: behind that, and I just don't. I mean, sodomy. I remember I was in high school when it stopped being illegal. Yeah,
1: fuck. So there's lots of
0: weird-ass fucking laws. That's true. That's very true. If the newlyweds really wanted to live out their husband-father-wife-daughter dreams, they should have given it a goo because there are places in the United States where incest laws are pretty fucking light. For instance, incest isn't illegal in Rhode Island. But an incestuous marriage is. Uh, okay. What's happening in Rhode Island? Girl, I don't even want to fucking know. But if you really want to put a ring on it, New Jersey is the oh, way to go because keeping it classy, New Jersey. Yep, because as the musical Hamilton perfectly and succinctly put it, everything is legal in New Jersey. Adult, except pumping your own gas weirdly. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> right, Why is that, that the one thing I can't fucking do? I don't understand. <laughs> I know, adult incest isn't illegal, and neither is an incestuous marriage, but the marriage would be void. So you can have the ceremony, but the law won't acknowledge your marriage and you won't get the tax breaks, which I hear is like top three reasons why people are getting married. nowadays, right, yeah. right. So they could have lived their incestuous dreams, got married and not have had to worry about getting arrested for it because everything is legal in New Jersey, except pumping your own fucking gas. <laughs> Katie and Stephen moved to a house on a cul-de-sac in Nightdale, North Carolina. And on September 1st, 2017, Katie gave birth to her son and brother bennett
1: Ugh.
0: he's very cute
1: but like congratulations i guess I don't exactly I don't, I don't know how to feel I about a girl. this like I yeah
0: i know i know this this whole thing's very crazy but like they seem cool with it so like i feel like i'm like a parent's not like i'm all right whatever you want to do like See? It's fine. No. But here's the thing and like yes they're consenting but when it's a parent and the child there's still like a power dynamic that exists yes. there a hundred fucking percent you know, so it's hard to say... Oh, no, I'm not justifying this. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know you know I'm not,
1: but I just, I feel for the record, I have to say I'm
0: obviously not justifying this. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking it out loud because it's a lot. It's crazy. It, like, I had another story that I've been putting off for two why months. You, I get why you were like And I just clicked on a link and fell down the fucking rabbit hole. Call me Alice. This happened. This fucking happened. While they were over the moon with their new baby boy, domestic bliss wouldn't last long. In January 2018, the pair were arrested and extradited from North Carolina back to Henry County, Virginia, to face charges of incest, adultery, and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. On February 20th, Stephen and Katie were released on a million dollars bond each. What? So I looked this up. This is a bit confusing because I've never been arrested. Lucky for me. But it's from like what I understand, of your- it's 10%, 10% yeah. which is still $100,000. And yeah. I'm like, who the fuck has $200,000? Because they got a million bond, a million dollars yeah. bond each. But in other articles, I saw that he got released on 28000 So I think it was maybe reduced. I don't know how that works either. We're going to guess. Yeah. Stephen was court ordered to stay away from Katie, with the judge ordering both of them to not contact each other. Katie moved back in with her adoptive parents in New York, Stephen, having been barred from returning to North Carolina, moved into a hotel in Virginia, and Stephen's mother, Grace, who was Mrs. Smiley in the fucking picture, was granted custody of baby Bennett. On March 16th, Henry Co. County Judge Stuart Williams lifted the restriction, stipulating that the only place Plato couldn't go was his house in Nightdale. Important to note, the court placed no legal restriction preventing him from visiting Bennett, Or from taking him away from Grace's home in the nearby city of Cary. After Katie was released, she moved back in with her adoptive parents in New York, and they tried to settle back into a routine and a sense of normalcy. For instance, every Tuesday and Thursday, Tony, Kelly, and Katie would drive to her adoptive grandmother's house in Waterbury, Connecticut, and it was working. Katie was finding herself again, and she was ready to move on from the madness despite the no contact order. On Wednesday, April 11th, Katie called Stephen to end their relationship. Around 8 p.m. that night, Stephen asked Grace if he could take Bennett back to his home in Nightdale so that he and the baby could Skype with Katie. Grace agreed. Shortly after midnight, Stephen spoke to his mother again, this time telling her that he was actually taking the baby to New York to see Katie. In reality, Stephen had suffocated the (gasps) defenseless seven month old, discarding his dead body in a bedroom closet in his Nightdale, North Carolina home. Plato then drove 600 miles through the night to Dover, New York, and because it was Thursday, and he knew that every Thursday, Katie and her adoptive parents would drive to Waterbury to visit her adoptive grandmother. On April 12th, Katie and Tony left their home in Dover for Waterbury, right on schedule, just like every Tuesday and Thursday before it. But on this day, in a nearby minivan driven by Stephen Plato, he was waiting outside their home, watching them. He saw Katie and Tony leaving together in their truck, and as they drove off, he followed them. Minutes later, in nearby New Milford, when they were stopped at a stop sign between routes 7 and 55, Stephen pulled up to the passenger side at that intersection and opened fire on them with the AR-15-style assault rifle. The two were later found dead in their truck from gunshot wounds. Tony was 56, and Katie was just 20 years old.
1: Fuck. It was like a Chekhov's gun thing. Like you, I, you set the stage, and I knew. Yep. I knew, and yet I somehow did not see this coming in any way, shape, or form. Because
0: it's so insane that you're like the true crime thing is that he fucked his daughter and had a kid. Yes. Him. It's funny because he really had me like on a
1: fucking roller coaster. Where in the beginning I was like, okay, he's obviously gonna like murder the adopted daughter, and then so, I was like, no, okay, the incest thing is obviously what we're going. Oh my god. Monique. All
0: of the things. All uh, of the things are happening. Here. I'm so upset. Genuinely so upsetting. Okay. Around 8.45 Thursday morning, Plato called his mother and told her that he had killed Katie, her adopted father, and he also admitted to killing Bennett, saying that he had left the baby's body in his home and not to go there. Grace called 911 telling the police what her son had just told her and requesting a welfare check on her grandson. In her 911 call, Grace said, quote, He told me he, oh God, he told me he killed his baby and he's in the house. His wife broke up with him over the phone yesterday and he just, he killed his wife. He killed her father. I can't believe this is happening. End quote. I can believe this is happening. Yeah. There were so many fucking red flags that everyone fucking ignored. And you know, hashtag not a mother, but Grace enabled the fuck out of all of this. Yeah. All of this. Yes. Stephen was later found dead, slumped over the wheel of his Honda minivan with a self-inflicted gunshot wound just miles away from where he killed his wife and her adoptive father in Dover, New York. Hours later, police went to Plato's Nightdale home to perform a welfare check on the infant and found Bennett dead and alone in the couple's home. Alyssa said everything that transpired was a direct result of the system failing Katie and Bennett. She said, quote, Stephen shouldn't have ever been allowed back to North Carolina, where he had access to his house, his weapons, the baby. It's a shocking failure. I can understand they like to put children in the hands of relatives, but not Grace. She wouldn't have been able to stop him from seeing the baby, even if she wanted to. Steve may have found a way to get to him, but they could have certainly made things much more difficult for him. I think they could have helped prevent some, if not all of this," end quote. She went on to say, quote, he had an obsession with guns. He had been an outcast since school. He hadn't had a job for eight years. He fitted the exact profile of one of these mass shooters, end quote. Alyssa had previously obtained a restraining order banning Plato from going near her or her family, but she couldn't understand why the same protections weren't extended to Bennett. Shannon Taylor, Commonwealth attorney for Henry Coe County, said, There was nothing in Plato's history to suggest that that he would go on a murderous rampage which is why you have to fucking report everything and have a fucking paper trail of everything yes yeah because then they can pull they that they didn't have hat. any record of him abusing his wife or anything like that or the or the baby the, the baby yeah and that's the thing like you don't want to be in a situation where you need help and then them saying like well we don't have any evidence we can't fucking help you taylor said i can't believe it went to his side of the family dude like you gave up the
1: woman you married for adoption because you were abusing her so badly as a kid, and we were like, eh, like, give him to his side of the family, like instead of the people who adopted that baby and raised it well and treated it with kindness. Ugh.
0: And he's the one with priors. He's the one yeah. being booked on fucking incest and the delinquency of a fucking minor. Yeah. From what I know, Alyssa doesn't have any fucking priors. Yeah. You know, I have a custody case close to me, and the laws are fucking wild, and it's like. Who's the more unfit parent? Because that's the person that we're going to put these helpless fucking creatures in the care of. The person who's most dangerous, that's the one who we're going to, we're going to, and wish for the best. And then when some crazy fucking shit happens, then we're just going to be like, oh, it's Bennett's law we're going to name a law after them so this doesn't happen again ignoring every fucking red flag imaginable that yeah. happened and everyone saying this is fucking wrong this is fucking dangerous but similarly in the case that's close to me there is no fucking paper trail because this person didn't want to make a scene this person didn't want their kids to look at them and be like how could you call the cops of my mother didn't matter that she was volatile didn't matter that she was dangerous didn't matter that she was abusive but you need that fucking paper trail because you don't know when it's gonna save your fucking life or save like someone you knows life this is like not a fucking joke guys like and again it's not victim blaming it's just this is reality and like if you're in a situation or you know someone in a situation this shit can save your life don't be nice fuck politeness and look out for yourself The worst shit that could happen is that you fuck up and you're embarrassed. Okay. That's literally the worst shit that could happen. Yeah. I'll take embarrassment over how this ended. The Commonwealth attorney, Taylor, said, quote, When you look at the facts of the case, we did not see any risk factors. A recommendation for the pretrial officers said that there did not appear to be any red flags. End quote. It's also like a he said, she said thing. Exactly. So like if you're
1: just saying the red flags, they're like, okay, well right. you're just the jaded ex-wife, like why am I going to believe you? Yeah, you need yeah.
0: pictures of the fucking holes in the wall, you need pictures of the of Bruises. The bruises. Everything. And not only that, you need to write down in a diary. You need to call someone and say, he just said this crazy shit. Like, you need to do all of it. You need to fucking protect yourself. And, it, and it's so hard because in these things where you're being gaslit and, and you're being abused, it's so easy to think it's your fault or that maybe you made it more of a thing than it was. But that's how they get away with it. Yes. So Taylor also said that the decision to leave Bennett with grace was made by the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Not them. Way to pass the book, yeah. Quote All Steve had was Katie and the baby, Alyssa later reflected. She continued, The only thing that kept him going was his thought of getting back with her. To find out that it wasn't going to happen, I think that's the straw that broke the camel's back, end quote. And again, I'm so, she's not victim blaming either, just like no, she's just noting, fucking deranged. Yeah. yeah. On April 21st, 2018, Katie, Tony, and Bennett were buried in St. Charles Cemetery in Dover Plains, New York. I didn't look up where Stevens buried because fuck him. Yeah, fuck him. No. And that is the fucking insane story of Stephen Platel. <sighs> that was so fucking crazy. It's and yeah. so fucking upsetting. Yeah. But what a good story. Yeah. Eight o'clock last night. Went down that road. I get
1: it. I would have too. Shit. Yeah. Such a horrible ending though. I didn't see that coming somehow. Yeah. You lulled me into a false sense of security.
0: You're welcome. I don't yes. know what to
1: say. Damn it. Ugh. It's a tough one. That's a tough one. Shit, I don't know. This is. I hard. know. I was like, I don't really know how to recover from this one.
0: Shit. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. And it's like when you look at the pictures of them, of the two of them, they look so similar. Yeah. They look so similar. Like they're so obviously related. You know. Uh, exactly. That gave me so much to think about. Honestly, like yeah. that's gonna
1: be even like the GSA. The thing GSA thing is yeah. really. I feel like that's really gonna fuck with me for a little... That's all right. I needed to get off the hammock for a while, so. <laughs> I, I needed a little break. <laughs> Great callback.
0: Thank uh, you. Thank you. The that fucking hammock. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, now your post was amazing. I was dying it. was like, it ne- It was such a thing. It needed to be one of the it, pictures. It was. I obviously can't let it go. I
1: will continue to bring it up. It's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Don't let it go.
0: No one wants you to let it go. <laughs> and I won't. We're play. not going to move past... Someone paying women to shit into their mouth. <laughs> I was like, I never will. I am not that evolved.
1: Of no, no, no. God, I'm certainly not. There's, As everyone listening already knows.
0: Right. There is no amount of yoga or meditation or no. hanging out with Jesus. No. That will ever be like, you know, I respect that. De- I respect that decision. Maybe these fucking parents would be like that. <laughs> they would. They totally would. Probably. Uh But
1: guys, that was a downer. That was, I st- I'm still smiling regardless. Like, I still
0: enjoyed hearing
1: the story from you.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. You know, it's the craziest story and it happened two years ago. Yeah. And I didn't hear anything about that. Technically I three. That. And in New York, and this is, this is crossing state lines. State lines, So yeah. he fucking murdered his son in North Carolina. He murdered his wife, daughter, and her adopted father in Connecticut. And then he killed himself in New York. So crazy. Yeah. I didn't, did not hear about any of this. No. And I was like, "Is this the year Bowie died? Is this is why I was not." But no, he died in 2016. <laughs> but like I was very distracted. It was very emotional. I had to take a little break. It was like Bowie, Alan Rickman, and like Prince <gasps> oh, in the same. Bowie yeah. and Alan Rickman were the same fucking week. Yeah. And then Prince was that year. Alan it was Rickman everyone. Really got me. Yeah, I I was really fortunate that a few years ago, well more than that because he died coming on five years. So before that, he was in a show on Broadway, Teresa Rebeck's seminar. And you know, I like I see all the shows, I've seen all these people live, I've seen Pacino, I've seen De Niro, I've seen fucking everyone. I have never experienced in my life, a situation where there's someone that you literally can't take your eyes off him because that's just how magnetic and captivating of a a presence he had, that he could be on the side of the stage not saying anything, and you couldn't tear your fucking eyes away from him. It was incredible. That it is, was so incredible. That is exactly what I wanted you to say yeah. about Alan Rickman. Like, that is the most perfect thing you could
1: have yeah.
0: said to describe him. I think that's how we have to end the show. I'm
1: not going to <laughs> <laughs> that. Yes, to Alan Rickman. To
0: Alan fucking Rickman. Ah, RIP. Too soon. I know he was 69. I, I think him and Bowie were exactly the same age. Oh, were they? I think Jen. they were both 69 and British and died of, like, cancer. The same fucking week, you know, there was a there was a meme going around when all of that was happening. That was like, I have a theory that what's happening is that they're actually populating another universe and taking the best with them. Oh, and you know, I've lived in the years since they died, and I kind of completely agree that that's what's that's happening. Not actually that far fetched. It's like the leftovers, and we were fucking leftover. I get yeah, we were not. This actually oh. The fact, the fact that, that I'm cool left on. makes so
1: much sense. <laughs> now. Okay, yeah, no, that's definitely what happened. No, trash human over here. You're not. You're, you're,
0: you're amazing. Oh, really thank delightful. you. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you continue to listen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you didn't, listening after this. and you didn't stop midway through my, like, incest triple fucking murder story. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Thank you so much for listening. You guys are amazing. Next week, we are going to be doing another listeners episode, which Ooh. I'm so fucking excited about. Guys, bring in your fucking send it in. Send it in. We want all your stories, all of them. If it's weird, I want to fucking hear it. Yes. If you have an alien story, UFO Amy needs it for her soul. My cup
1: will overflow it. Like it will never be full enough. You can she, always give me more alien stories. You have no idea how much you make for life if you cup send her. Run it
0: over. That's
1: noise. Yep. God damn my
0: brain ready. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's a long day. So please send those stories. Uh email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a pure Period, instead of a you and fucking, please follow us on Instagram at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me, Monique, at promo on Instagram. You can find me, Amy, at lobotomy, and that's lobot, period, Amy. Also, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. That really helps us out getting our visibility so that we get more listeners, so that we can get advertisers, so that we can leave our bullshit jobs and just do this for you guys every week. Thank you so much for being amazing and being the best listeners in the whole world. We love you so much. And remember to keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.